You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer for fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about Wakanda forever. But before we do that, let's meet our cast for this week. So starting off, she is our angel of audio, and that is Angie. How are you doing, Angie? I'm doing really well. I'm glad to be back. Yeah. So what's been going on for you since the last time you were on the show? Um, I... Uh, well, it's been a really long time since I did National Novel Writers Month, so mm. my best friend and I decided we were going to do that this this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really out of practice, and uh, it's harder to turn a phrase now than it used to be, so I'm trying to give myself some grace, but I'm committed, and I've been writing every day, so oh, it's cool. taken up way more time than I thought it was. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I've never, I've never done anything like that. Like I see people on my feed do that all the time and I'm just always like, yeah, I don't. I have yeah. a couple of people that are, <laughs> they're more prolific writers than I am. And I get mm. really jealous, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, you know what, even if I don't get all 50,000 words, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write every day. So that's my goal. All right, I cool. love the acronym NaNoWriMo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I always see it written because people are typing about it on Facebook. And so at the first I had to hear what Angie said. And then I, oh, yeah, NaNoWriMo. <laughs> I know what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, no, that's really cool. And, and, you know, writing is something I've been thinking about, like, getting back to doing uh, for a while now. And it's just one of those things of just finding the time. It seems like because I did I did actually write a short story that did actually get published. So, like, it was almost like I hit a milestone and then it was just kind of <laughs> like, oh, like, yeah, I, I to, to do go to that from that to novel. That's like such a huge like jump that it's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things I want to do someday. Well, I mean, it's it's a good practice. It, it's my yeah, my husband thinks I'm crazy, but it's it's good to have that goal where you're just forcing yourself to get words out. Because I think if you yeah. get stuck in your own head and think too hard about it, you just you don't write. So mm-hmm. that's the point of of, you know, of the whole month. So. Okay. Well, I mean, I wish you the best of luck in getting your 50,000 words done. And uh, yeah, uh, we're glad to have you back on the show this week. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. All right. Very cool. And you're actually the only person we have coming back from talking about the first Black Panther. So um, that's that's interesting also. <laughs> All right, but next up, uh, he is uh, one of our experts in the MCU, and that is JD. How are you doing, JD? I can't believe you keep asking me to come back. (laughs) Just when I think I've burned a bridge, finally. (laughs) 
Oh, come on, man. You like re-upped with that. Uh, the, the movies that are so bad, they're good. Oh, I love that. I love uh, that episode. You generated so much goodwill that, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know what they say in the biz, you got to do one for them. So you can do one for you. That right. was my, that was my one for, for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you see like uh, most of these episodes as chores that you have oh, to yeah. get through. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm excited to be on here to talk about this movie. Uh, the first movie is still my favorite MCU movie. Oh, OK. Um, so uh, I tried to walk into this without the burden of those expectations. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, well, yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to the discussion on this one. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, it's good to have you uh, back on the show, JD. Nice to be back, as always. Yeah, and finally, uh, we have another expert on various comic and geeky media that we have, and that's Tom. How are you doing, Tom? Pretty good, pretty good. So what's been going on for you since the last time you were on, which I think was Superman and Lois season it two. It was. Good, yeah. good memory. I just got the Blu-ray and watched the bonus features. Oh, cool. Which are becoming few and far between on TV uh, collections these days. Mm-hmm. It's like, just keep looking out. Let me tell you the thing that gets me, not with TV, but with movies. When the DVDs get released with all these extras and features, and then they release the Blu-ray without any of that. And I'm like, really? You couldn't just port the extras you already had from the DVD to the book? I don't need you to record new ones. Just just move them over. You know but that yeah. would cost money. I guess, but with they're already recorded. I don't. They don't have to upscale them. You can leave them in standard definition. Just just move them over. <laughs> <laughs> I but anyway, you, they showed um, the finale of the season, the series finale of Clone Wars at D23. Mm. And I was hoping that they would edit it together seamlessly in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. Yeah. And I was, I was grousing to a friend. And it's like, well, that would cost money. And this is Disney after all. Right. <laughs> yeah. And of course, where it's going to be rare to get anything uh, from DC anymore because they're canceling everything. So <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks Warner brothers discovery. <laughs> oh, Except except for the Mac stuff, evidently, because, uh, you know, Green Lantern is still a go. The Batman spinoff Penguin is coming. We're oh, OK, be- Penguin. <laughs> yes. The Green Lantern thing is like vaporware, right? Like they keep announcing it and then t- like, but they they keeps changing. The story keeps changing of when it's going to come, what it's going to be about, all of that. Like until I see something concrete. I, yeah, they keep saying Green Lantern's it. coming, well, but I don't believe it. <laughs> I think somebody I think somebody at one of the one of the new discovery bros <laughs> and i mean bro that way not like warner brothers but right, bro right. as in the pejorative context i think one of them discovered oh we don't have a lot of black heroes why are we doing a green lantern show about the white guy <laughs> and 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 uh so i don't know i it's just i think it's interesting that they have you know they they released the old showrunner. They tossed all eight scripts that were written. Mm-hmm. And they're going to start over from scratch. But I don't know. It's a hot mess over there. It's yeah, because I mean, you, you say the Max stuff, but I'm not sure Titans and Doom Patrol are going to get another season after the ones they're releasing right now. So I mean, like that they they might not. They may have very few shows. Period. Very soon. Well, um, Harley Quinn got another season. Mm-hmm. 
So everybody's favorite R-rated, foul-mouthed, super villain slash anti-hero. It's grown on me. I was a, when I saw the uh, the pilot at New York Comic Con. I was kind of like shocked <laughs> because the character was created for Batman animated. But mm-hmm. then I a couple of friends peer pressured me. Watch more. Watch more. It's like okay, you know, I I don't know. I still question the wisdom of taking a character specifically created for a kids show and making her R-rated, but Titans, come on. It's tame compared to some of the stuff Harley Quinn has done in the comics, so. Oh, you know, I haven't really followed her comic book stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, everything's changing with Warner Brothers Discovery, it seems like, every day, you know, and, you know, even, you know, rumors have surfaced that they're doing so poorly that Universal is going to buy them now. (laughs) which I think would be hilarious. That would never happen. There are so few media conglomerates now. They're not allowing another merger. Mm -hmm. So, and Warner's has said, there's no way that they would release DC because that's their cat. One of their cash cows. Right. Well, you know, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep watching it and seeing what happens and what develops, but you know, between them canceling uh, Batgirl, you know, this year, and then them canceling, you know, a huge slate of their of their TV shows and all the stuff that's going on with the cost-cutting measures that they're doing oh, and but, firing people left, right, but, and center. But yeah. Nathan, they have their they have their Kevin Feige now. They have an eight-year plan. They'll be fine. <laughs> Stop their, me if you've heard this before. Right, yes. <laughs> their, their third eight, their 10-year plan... <laughs> But they've had in the last five years. The hiring of Gunn gives me hope because his his show and movie, and I, I should say shows because he's developing something and it seems like it might be Mr. Terrific, but the fact that they are at least Snyderverse adjacent, if not fully on in the Snyderverse, and he doesn't have his head up his rear like the previous... Re- I mean, the, the problem I have with James Gunn, it's not really a problem per se. It's more of a shortcoming i think he'll have in this role but uh he like like Zack snyder before him has a very specific tone um and you can't have a very specific tone when it comes to telling disparate superhero stories you have to adapt the tone to the character and i'm not i'm not confident he'll do that I think that's why they made it co-show, like co-like owners of the DC stuff, and they had mm-hmm. the produ- I forget the guy's name, but like, there's the other guy that's too. with him. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. guy not gun, <laughs> right? But he's uh, he's been like pr- a producer on Shazam and and a few other things, and so I think he's supposed to be like the steady hand that might filter some of gun, you know, like gun's tendencies. I'm hoping at least there was some thought put into that, and that's why there's two people because they're like we have our Kevin Feige. But it's two people, <laughs> you know. It's kind of like that's a little strange, but all right. But I think Gunn's smart enough to realize that the character, the different characters demand different tones. I mean, so I don't know. I just uh, this year has been such a mixed bag for superhero films because we've had this is one of the the good, the bad, and the ugly years, and there was a lot of bad and ugly, yeah. <laughs> a lot of good. Yeah. But uh, it's good to have you back on the show, Tom. Thanks for having me, Nathan. All right. And so normally we'd have a five-minute controversy here. And uh, I didn't prepare one because we were going to have four people. And as we know, if we have four guests, I never do a five-minute controversy. So, oh, well. (laughs) 
<laughs> we're not going to do one. Um, so uh, just we're going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast, and then we'll get straight into talking about Wakanda forever. The Hitchhiker's Guide to Podcasting has this to say about the weekly Earth Station One podcast. Mildly entertaining, not nearly as exciting as the popping of bubble wrap, but slightly better than listening to Vogon poetry. Be mildly entertained by Mike and Mike as they tackle an assortment of geeky topics each week. Check out the Earth Station One podcast and let your inner geek out to play. mentioned at the beginning of the show we are talking about black panther wakanda forever i am going to refer to it as just wakanda forever from now on because that is a huge mouthful and uh you know what i mean uh so um angie was the only one who was on our show talking about the original black panther um and so i did want to just take a moment uh for jd and tom to talk about your thoughts on just the original black panther film so uh, why don't you start us off, Tom, um, and uh, just, just you know, brief highlights. What do you think about the original Black Panther? I thought it was, I thought it was a great film. It to this day is the only superhero film nominated for Best Picture, mm-hmm. and they did win some Emmys in technical categories, including costuming and score. I um, the thing that I loved about well, there's so many things reasons to love about it, but it was unabashedly, unapologetically. Afrocentric, Afrofuturist. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the two token Anglo characters in the movie were the actors, uh, Mar- Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis, respectively young Bilbo Baggins and Gollum, <laughs> you could refer to them as the Tolkien white guys. Yes. We made that joke on the podcast, in fact. Rimshot, rim please. <laughs> but I think that it was really, it was a cultural moment. The mm-hmm. fact that it grossed over a billion dollars worldwide, I think, caught a lot of people off guard. And one of my favorite moments, um, when I when I lived in California, a comic shop in Lake Forest uh, puts together a crew for a Fourth of July parade every year. And there were some years that I wore costumes and sweated, like after Black Panther came out, Black Panther costume. But one of the coolest moments was riding the float and getting the Wakanda forever salute from white kids hmm. because it wasn't, even though it was an Afrocentric film, there were Anglo kids and, you know, there were, there were children and adults of all ages, all ethnicities who enjoyed it because it was something special. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I just, you know, Ryan Coogler has at that point had directed three movies. Now he's directed four, but the dude knows what he's doing. He knows how to tell stories. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, it, it amazes me. I was talking to some of my students uh, earlier in the week saying, okay, do you realize this dude has directed exactly four movies and they're all pretty terrific. I mean, some people have favorites, one more favorite than the other, but he, he knows how to tell stories. 
Yeah, though, that's that's really cool. And yeah, we we also talked about the fact that, you know, the idea of Wakanda, you know, goes all the way back to the 60s created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. And it's so interesting because it's something that I've never seen anywhere else. The idea of the uncolonized African nation with the, you know, the super technology and all of that. But it's it's such a it's such a cool idea. And obviously, you know, there's there's nowadays making it with the filmmaker, you know, with Ryan Coogler making it and everything. They're able to give it, I think, a little more um uh, what's the word? Um, resonance. Yeah, a little more resonance. That wasn't the word I was looking for. I think I was trying to come up. Uh, and anyway, yeah, resonance. Um, you know, and a little more authenticity. That's the word I was looking for. But like a little more authenticity because it is people of color making a movie about you know Wakanda. Mm-hmm. But it but it is fascinating to me. Like the whole Afrofuturist you know, sort of uh, science fiction, you know, side of it. And I think that is one of the really cool, cool things about uh, Wakanda. Um, uh, so, J.D., uh, what did you think about I know you told us it was your favorite MCU movie, but beyond that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's still my favorite MCU movie. It still has uh, the best villain in the MCU hmm. who did who did nothing wrong, who was right the entire movie. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> did nothing wrong nope Are you sure about that? that nope he he uh he did nothing wrong wow. to create global war? <laughs> nah, the way i see it people had it coming <laughs> Jeez. the son of a single black mother killing a lot of black women okay well there yeah you have that point i suppose um but i i still think as uh as villains go in the MCU. Um, I, I mean, in general, your villains do, your villains are most effective when they are dark reflections of your main character mm-hmm. and have uh, motivations that, you know, if you just look at the the logic of the motivation, you go, that, no, he's actually got a point though. <laughs> and that's, that's mm-hmm. Killmonger in the movie. Like, he has a point. His rage is is righteous and understandable. He goes about it wrong, but you, you I mean, it's like uh, I'm probably the only one that watches pro wrestling, but your most effective wrestling bad guys are people who are at, like at a fundamental level, right? <laughs> uh, they're just <laughs> about it. They go about it exactly wrong. And that mm-hmm. that's why I think Killmonger still uh resonates as as one of if not the best mcu villain um it uh as you mentioned like i think this is the movie that kicked down the door to uh marvel being willing to be more representative Mm. um because i i think they very much were stuck in the mindset of well the only movies that do well are are led by straight white guys and this was the movie that kind of pushed them over into oh oh we can make a lot of money with this okay uh it like it bursts that myth it's amazing what happens when you throw plenty of money and put like like legitimate like you know uh creators behind a project with people of color or or women and have the message be like you know, have the message be re- resonating, mm-hmm. uh, have it, have it be something that resonates with, with the audience that you're trying to capture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
that being said, like that movie was a singular moment in time. And even without the loss of Chadwick Boseman, uh, it would have been next to impossible to top the original for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, um, because, uh, that movie just, it, it came out at the right time. Um, it, it caught on, uh, like wildfire. It didn't have, it didn't feel like it was creaking under the weight of the mythology. Um, it is still probably, I, I mean, I think even if you just break it down as like an introductory movie for a character in the MCU, it's still the best of those as well. Mm. Um, it, it, they don't waste performances. All of the performances are outstanding. Uh, the costuming and set design, the soundtrack is amazing. Like it's, it just fires on all cylinder. It is, it is Marvel at its absolute best. Um, it is the loudest I have ever been in a theater for aside from the first Avengers. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing that even comes close to the amount of like crowd participation that we had uh in the theater for black panther and that you know that could be me watching it in baltimore in a predominantly black neighborhood but um you know i also saw avengers in the same movie theater so <laughs> i'm at least sampling the same audience type um sure. yeah a lot of brothers and avengers one yeah <laughs> shockingly light on them actually but yeah no it's uh, uh Marvel's come close a couple of times since Black Panther came out for me, but I, there's not even really been a serious challenger to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked in the previous episode about the fact that, you know, the reason why a lot of superhero properties with people of color or, you know, starring women and whatever haven't succeeded is just because the studio had zero confidence, didn't give them the budget they needed, didn't put the creators behind them that they needed and whatever. So you created self-fulfilling prophecy and yeah, I mm -hmm. give Disney total props you know disney and marvel total props for actually saying no like we're serious about this we are going to and and amazing just like with wonder woman over on dc you know it's like hey when you treat it seriously and you treat it the same as you do for any of your big male characters guess what happens you know like you can make an amazing movie that people enjoy who would have thought you know and you get the numbers and the seats that you want yeah I mean, yeah. this movie, I, I will say, like financially had to have blown away any expectation they had. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I think they they unfairly expected all of their other movies to do this money. But yeah. uh, I mean, they don't really storyboard based off of what property got the most eyeballs on it. Mm -hmm. Like uh, much to your chagrin, I believe that uh, Eternals 2 is in pre-production right now. So. <laughs> seriously yeah mm -hmm. why they uh they they have a story that they are going to tell and they are going to tell whether they you come along with it or not um if ever and i and i am a defender of eternals i liked eternals but uh wait you yeah. like eternals because i swear that you're constantly giving it flat so no, that's not me i like eternals it's not a perfect movie but i respect the uh angle and the the different type of movie it was uh in the mcu than all of the other ones have been no i i i like what it's trying to do i just don't ultimately think it's successful in what it's trying to do mm. um enough to justify like to, to have it really be a standout but it's 
I like it better than Iron Man 2 and Thor The Dark World, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, yeah, but you can't throw Iron Man 2 out, because that's like the low I like bar it better than MCU. Captain America The First Avenger. <laughs> okay. Really? Oh, hey, I like Captain Oh, we're going to fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually really like Eternals. Like, it was, it was uh, until Spider-Man came along, it was my favorite movie last year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, well, we're not going to have that discussion because we've already had it. And if you want to hear that discussion, you can go to the 42 cast page and search for Eternals. Rob Stark uh, did nothing wrong. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, I wish I'd had you on that one, Angie, just because I wanted somebody to take Icarus's side. I wanted that discussion to happen, but nobody would. I tried to bait people into having that discussion. Look, Icarus had one job, and he was determined to see it through. (laughs) That's right. All right. All right. But anyway, back to Wakanda forever, which is what we're talking about. So I am curious. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in the minority on this one, but maybe somebody's going to surprise me. You know, because the initial thing, the initial problem, the initial like thing about this movie that we all heard was, uh, you know, when when we all were shocked by Chadwick Boseman passing away, and uh, you know, they said we're going to proceed with doing a movie, but it's not going to have the character of T'Challa, uh, in it, and so uh, just out of curiosity, because you know, there's a lot of people um who were like wait why don't you recast the role so you can still have t'challa played by somebody else so uh you know how what do you think about that decision do you think that that was the right choice to make or do you think that uh uh that they that they should have recast so angie uh what about you what do you think yeah i it's rough it's really rough because in case it's not obvious uh i'm a super white lady um and so you know, I, I heard the argument that, you know, if it, if it, well, we know if it was Spider-Man, they'd recast, mm-hmm. they'd recast Peter Parker if, if Spider-Man, like, and they have, and they've, you know, Superman, they have recast these characters over and over again. And so it, you know, and, and Heath Ledger may be even the best example, right? They've recast the Joker since Heath Ledger died. Like, it's not like you retire the character because the actor had a tragic death. And so I, I understand that, like, you can't just kill this character that means so much to people because the actor is tragically gone. Um, and I get that. And so I was really interested to see where they went with it in the film. I, you know, they, they threaded the needle and I can't fault them for what they did. I, I think they, you know, they... I feel like they did right by by Bozeman um, and they, you know, they honored his performance, but they kind of, you know, they they made room for another t- version of T'Challa. And and I'm not a purist. And so if those, you know, if, if that those adventures happen with T'Challa Jr., I'm fine with that. Like, I don't have a, a, a problem with it. But yeah, that it, it's a rough it was a rough for every I mean, really, I, I don't that was not a situation that i think there was a perfect outcome to and i think they did a pretty good a pretty good job with it okay jd yeah they they i mean like they were really backed into a corner on this decision um i i mean you you drew a couple of parallels but in each of those situations i i think the the surroundings of it the context was so different um because with with Heath Ledger in the role of uh in that role in that Joker role um 
they did intend on having him come back in the Dark Knight Rises and they cut the character from it. They they did not recast it. They've recasted Joker down the line, but those are not the same. Um, and then for Peter Parker, again, like none of those, none of those, none of those actors passed away in the middle of their their set of movies. Um if they had, I I actually would suspect that Marvel wouldn't recast that Peter Parker. Um, I'm sure they would recast and reboot it, which they've proven they can just do at the drop of a hat. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of come down on that with you, Angie. I, I'm I'm a very white man, um, and. Uh, there are, I will say, there are a number of voices uh, in the Black community that feel like he should have been recast, and I respect that opinion. Um, I don't personally share it. I'm, I am fine with what they chose to do, and I think in the movie itself, I think they managed to, as you said, thread the needle. Uh, I, I think they did it really beautifully. Um, and, and pulled themselves out of that corner that they were put in, um, to where essentially like they kind of recast the, you know, the spirit of the role, if not the actual role. So, uh, I, I think they, they elegantly got out of that corner and I'm fine with what they did. Yeah. I mean, my own two cents is that there's no such thing as a role that's too precious that you can't recast. I mean, and I feel that way about anything anywhere. I think that in our modern time, we've gotten too crazy about that. Hence them digitally recreating, for instance, Mark Hamill, who's still with us, but as a young Luke Skywalker, where there's a stand in actor in the book of Boba Fett, you know, Mark Hamill's not even on the set and we have to recreate, you know, Luke Skywalker looking in his thirties because we just can't stand the idea of it not looking and sounding like Mark Hamill. And I think that that's a problem and it's a short-sighted nature of, of our world right now. That's on, uh, uh, that's on us, right? That's on, that's on geeky fandom. That's on us. Right. <laughs> no, no, I, I get that. I get that. But I, I think, I think, you know, I've spoken to, to plenty of actors who are like, you know, like, yeah, there's no such thing as a role that's like too great. Like, you know, that can't be recast or can't, you know, ever have somebody else play it, you know? And so, you know, it's one of those things. And knowing that Chadwick Boseman's brother said that Chadwick himself would have wanted them to recast, you know, is one of those things also where I'm kind of like, I, I would have liked to see. So everybody's saying, you know, the movie that we got was good. And I'm just saying, I, I would be interested to see the, the, you know, the version that would have been had they recast, you know, cause we can't compare it to that, you know? So we can only say, yeah, it was good. You know, but, you know, could it have been better? We'll never know. Um, I've, I've read um, interviews with several cast members as well as with Ryan Coogler. The thing with Bozeman and as Angie and JD have pointed out, this isn't a character who was in one, who had one appearance and then was gone. This isn't Edward Norton. This isn't Terrence Howard. And for a variety of reasons why they were released from their, you know, their option was not exercised for further uh, service to the MCU. But uh, Kugler said in an interview that he, in his mind, Bozeman was more than just his lead actor. He was a collaborator on the project. Mm -hmm. And because the nature of his illness was kept so secretive, 
that I don't even think Feige knew. So none of his co-stars knew, you know, n- none of the cast members knew. And I read an interview with, um, why am I blanking on Shuri's name? Um, Letitia, Letitia Wright. Wright. I, I read yeah. an interview with Letitia Wright and she, she didn't get to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And after he was gone, she said, I called his phone a couple of times and left him messages forgetting that he'll never be able to return those. So after four appearances in the Marvel Universe, you know, obviously introduction in Civil War, uh, the standalone movie, and then Avengers 3 and 4, it gave, by by choosing not to recast and by killing T'Challa, and there was precedent in the comic book for, for other people, including Shuri, to become Black Panther, mm-hmm. it gave not only the audience a chance to grieve Bozeman's loss, but also the cast and crew because I've read story after story after story and people unconnected with his MCU work. Sienna Miller was in a film with him and there was an issue with her not being paid, you know, with pay quality. And he gave up his own money, didn't publicize it. And she told the story after his death. This Hmm. was not just a great actor. This was a great human being, an Oscar nominated human being, an Emmy winning you know, he won the Emmy for the episode of What If uh, that was uh, that was streamed posthumously. So I think even though it really put the filmmakers in a corner, I really like the way they handle it. And by shifting the focus, it really becomes a story about grief, recovery, and legacy. And it is firmly Letitia Wright's movie as Shuri. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of the plot twists later on. But there is that one moment toward the end of the movie where somebody we didn't think we'd see in this movie shows up. And I've had discussions with friends about that. I'm like, it makes perfectly good sense because it shows where her state of mind is because she is not in a good place. She is not mourning healthily. And her mom, you know, get get out of the computers and participate in the communal grieving process. And she doesn't want to do it. She's not ready because once you do that, then you realize intellectually that person is gone. Whereas if you busy yourself, you can pretend, oh, you know, you can power through. I mean, I was just reminded uh, last week, my my father's been gone for a little over 15 years now. And I got an email from a chaplain stationed at my dad's last duty station. But um, yeah, it's, you know, it's difficult. Grief, grief, grief can be an SOB. And I don't know if any of you have lost parents or loved ones yet, but the thing is death comes for us all. Mm-hmm. And depending on how old you are, depending on where you are spiritually and emotionally, it can affect you in different ways. And I really appreciated the journey they showed her on. And for me, it made, I, I was never bored. This movie is probably about as long as Eternals, and I'm sorry, not a fan. (laughs) But but I was never, I never looked at my watch once, and then it was like, this is over now? But just this movie, both Black Panther movies are about something, and I know this one, you know, has become controversial, as some people said, and they start with the casting thing, and everybody's got their own opinion about, about that. But the fact that this is about something larger than the MCU, this is about death, grieving, moving on, recovery. And for Shuri, it's like, who am I? Mm -hmm. She has to decide. I mean, 
the, the Kugler is such a great writer. I mean, I've seen it's not hard, but I've seen all this stuff. But looking at that choice, the choices she makes throughout the movie are fantastic. I mean, and her encounter, her first encounter with Namor is, you know, when she says, you know, I was almost shipping them at one point. Oh, <laughs> I think they- that was intentional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they have like when play. he gives her his mother's like jewelry yes. and then, my, then Beth, my wife is like, they're married now. And I'm like, I think <laughs> they're trying to like, to say like. And the brilliance of that is it was one thing I try to teach my writing students when you can encapsulate an aspect of not just your story, but your theme in a tangible object. And that object turns out to be the key for this experiment she's been trying most of the, the movie, which was brilliant. I mean, I, there's so little, my, my biggest problem with the movie is I thought that the Julia Louis-Dreyfus stuff was so, oh my gosh. It's like, hey, let's put our narrative through. Okay. <laughs> and, All right, you're going across of- the whole movie now, Tom, but no, I agree with you about that. And in fact, that's one of the things that I was going to bring up is I feel like the movie at times was unfocused. And I think a lot of it was the need to be like, well, you know, Captain America, New World Order and Thunderbolts are coming up. So we got to set those up in this movie. And I'm like, did you really need to? Did you? I think um, I I will also just say to the previous point, I, I definitely think how Chadwick Boseman died and the age at which he died. Um and the fact that it was so unexpected, uh, I think a lot of those factors are what drove this decision. Um, I think had his battle with cancer been a lot more public, um, I I suspect that they might have thought about a way to recast the role. But at the same time, I could understand why he wouldn't want to tell anyone just from the standpoint of... You know, would that cause the studio to lose confidence in the character? And would that mean that they don't play? Because, you know, I mean, he could have thought that he might recover, you know. And so then it's like, you know, I don't want to say anything and then have them, like, not schedule anything with Black Panther. Because, you know, that would be awful for all the people who have put, you know, so much, you know, thought and love into that character. You know, like, that's... I mean, it wasn't just Marvel. I mean, he told none of his other movies Mm -hmm. that he worked on either. Um, And... Uh, outside of his wife and like three or four people none of his friends knew either Mm. like it's it's pretty wild how how much that was managed to be kept a secret kind of like um when when bowie bowie released black star on a friday and he was dead by sunday and i Mm. bought it and i was on i was on a trip and i listened to it and i'm like oh my gosh he knew and the thing is, he, I mean, there's a documentary on HBO Max now called The Last Five Years, but the only people who knew were his family and his manager. That was it. Mm. So when when a tremendous talent that has a, a big fan following and most people don't know, you know, the you know, did not know that they were that seriously ill or were ill at all until they're gone. It's it's such a shock. And uh I don't know if any of you are Bowie fans, but Moon Age Daydream is awesome. Oh my gosh, I love that movie. I did not see it. Yeah, it's it it was it was a true shock because I mean, such a young guy, you know, and you don't expect to hear that you know somebody you know that young is, is you know just died. You know, I mean, it, it yeah, it was it was it was a shock. Um, but let's uh, let's let's. I mean, you you started the ball rolling on Shuri, so let's talk about Shuri. Um, 
because I will say that that was the thing that worried me the most uh, about the movie, because I felt like the way the character had been portrayed previously, I was like, there is no way she can she can hold a movie like that character as depicted was kind of the comedy relief foil for T'Challa. And so I sister. Right. The kid's sister. Right. Exactly. And it was like she was there so that he didn't take himself too seriously. And I was I was worried because there have been several choices across the MCU of them saying like, oh, well, Thor Ragnarok's really popular and Guardians of the Galaxy is really popular. So we need to amp up the humor in all our movies. And I was like, I do not want to see Black Panther descend into Silly Fest. And I I had great fear. But um, I was actually surprised for how how good she was in this and how seriously like the role was taken and i was very happy with what we got from the character um the and 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 you know i mean we're well past the point of spoiler warnings and if you listen to the 42 cast you should know we talk about the whole movie uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen it why are you even listening to this episode uh, not that I mind. I'm just curious why. Um, but uh, the the thing that I like the most about it, because we go through the normal arc, right? I lost somebody. I'm mad. I almost kill the person. But then I decide, wait, that's not what a hero does. And I let them live. And it's like, okay, that's like the normal arc. And then we get to now it's time to assume my position, which I I fully expected the end of this movie was Queen Shuri you know, sitting on the throne in Wakanda. And when we get to the end and it's like, oh, she's not doing that. That to me was the thing that was like, okay, that is cool. That is really interesting storytelling. Because one of the things that I was thinking, like while watching this movie is it's like, these people are great people, but I'm not sure that this family is really like the best, like their best leader was was uh, Queen Ramona. Or is it Ramona? Ramonda? Sorry. Ramonda. 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 You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, and so I like the idea of somebody realizing, you know what, that's not my bag. And it would probably be best if somebody else were ruling Wakanda and just being like, that's, that's, you know, I can be Black Panther, you know, and I can protect Wakanda. And that doesn't mean I have to rule Wakanda. And I was like, that. That is cool. That is good storytelling. I like seeing the difference in the, you know, in the in the in the arc. Um, so yeah, I was I was I was pretty happy uh with that. Um but uh, Tom, I know you already started us off, but you know, what would you do you have anything more you wanted to say about Sherry? No, I just thought that her journey, I mean, she kind of goes through the Kubler Ross stages of grief, but the way they handled it, the fact that they didn't, you know, it's not until act three that is she she is willing, you know, we do not get her taking the mantle of Black Panther to act three. Mm-hmm. For, do you mind if I go ahead and go there with the yeah. surprise? Because one of my students on Tuesday blurts it out. It's like, what are you doing? But were you actually surprised that he was in the, because I was sure they were going to fit him in somehow, either in a flashback or something. I was like, oh, they're going to have Michael B. Jordan. where he showed oh, up. Okay, fair enough, yes. I thought that was brilliant because when she finally uses the, um, you know, parts of the, uh, of the, um, the gift that Namor gives her, which because they determined that, you know, the meteorite, or the meteors of vibranium hit uh, 
undersea and on land around the same time. She uses that to help synthesize the new heart-shaped purple herb and takes it. And during her vision quest in the ancestral plane, does she see Chachata? No. Does she see T'Challa? No. Dearly departed Ramunda? No. Evil cousin Eric? Yes. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, there was a gasp in the theater when he showed up. Mm. And, you know, and the fact that he's kind of like the devil, you know, the old angel devil cartoons or in uh, Emperor's New Grove, Kronk Mm. has this angel and devil (laughs) on the shoulder. But the fact that he is prompting, appealing to her worst natures. And initially she's ready to do that because she's still in that anger phase. And, you know, Namor... I mean, it was brilliant. The dude's charming, and then, but he's also vengeful and straight up murders Ramunda, trying to who's who who sacrifices herself to save Riri, and she's out for revenge. And she could have easily killed him during that climactic battle and opts not to. But I'm like, I really felt that that was an earned moment, considering everything that went. And I think that uh, Letitia Wright surprised a lot of people. Because she had been cast as the sidekick, little sister, you know, fun little, you know, the the stereotypical, you know, hot tech chick role that we see on pretty much every CW superhero show. And yeah, I mean, she's kind of analogous to Felicity on Arrow. I mean, I not I I'm not comparing like level of performance or anything, but like as far as her role and how they sort of the like, show. yeah, and depict it. Yeah. But the fact that she was able to take us with her on this emotional jury, journey, not jury. So we believe by the end that she is worthy to wear the mantle. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I was happy with the tone of the movie throughout the whole thing, because like I say, I've been a little unhappy with Marvel in general that, you know, that they, I think they are learning the wrong lessons from the success of guardians and Thor, as I think love and thunder kind of bore out. Whereas a lot of people are now saying like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't double and triple down on the silliness, you know, (laughs) but, um, you know, and, and certain characters lend themselves better to that tone that maybe it isn't just something we should just watch, you know, broad across the entire spectrum. Um, so I was very happy with the tone of this movie because it was serious subject matter and it was treated seriously. And I that gets an A plus for me. You know, that's that, that was it was well done. Um, J.D., what do you think about Shuri? So I I, I was not particularly worried about Shuri carrying the movie. Um, I, I know Letitia Wright is an amazing actress and, and could handle that. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, her story is not overly complex. It is, it is a very typical, um, someone dies. Uh, I'm angry about it. I'm going to kill someone. Oh wait, no, I shouldn't do that. That's not what they would want me to do. Never mind. Um, I do like the twist at the end, uh, with her, um, not deciding to take on, uh, rulership, although, um, for me, I, I, I was not surprised at all by Killmonger showing up in the ancestral plane, uh, for her. I wanted, I wanted more out of that scene. I think, um, but yeah, outside of that, um, I, I, 
I thought it was a good journey we went on with Shuri. And um, you know, I, I think I think in a lot of ways this this movie is a a mirror of what uh what the actors and the writers went through after Chadwick's death. Um, so I think there's a lot of autobiographical notes in this performance, uh, which I, I think helps elevate it as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when 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 uh, Chadwick's death was announced and they said they weren't going to recast, you know, I was so worried that I said, well, in the first movie, when they thought that he was dead, uh, Ramonda offers the heart-shaped herb to Nakia. And I'm like, they should make her Black Panther because her I can buy you know, as Black Panther, you know. No, but Killmonger lit him on fire. I, well, I know and that's that. That's not but the I'm life just, she wants. I, I, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> not knowing the revelations that would come in this movie also, you know, because that was the other thing we're going to talk about in a, in a little bit. But, you know, like, I was like, why is Nakia, like, so, like, like relegated to the background in this movie? She's barely in it. And I was like, why, why is that happening? But then they explained it, and I was like, okay, I get it. Um, but uh, but Angie, uh, what did you think about uh, Shuri in this? Yeah, I mean, I'll take credit. I think I called out in our last episode um, that I thought she was incredibly poised. And, um, you know, I mean, she's she's not as young as she looks. I was surprised when I <laughs> looked her up and found out, you know, her age. But, you know, she seems so youthful and to to be playing against Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan and to have that sort of poise and ease of and confidence on screen. I thought, um, I thought she, I, I wasn't concerned at all. I'm with JD. I thought she could carry the movie. No problem. Um, and I think she continued to do that too. Her scenes with Angela Bassett were, mm-hmm. I mean, just stunningly powerful. I, you know, the, what the first 30 minutes of the movie, I was just like crying. That's why I saw it alone on a Tuesday in the morning. So nobody was in the theater <laughs> with me. Um, but yeah the uh i knew it was gonna be a tear the first five minutes of the movie i think are emotionally compromising (laughs) (laughs) yeah and one thing that um you know i mean i i don't disagree with anything that's been said um one thing i did appreciate is that we we start the film with her her science techie nerd girl calling out to Bast and saying, Mm -hmm. if you give me this, I will never doubt you. And then she didn't get what she wanted. And she doesn't ever have like a, like a religious turn where she returns to the fold at the end of the the film. She grieves like her mother wanted her to, but she still does it in her own way. And I, I appreciated that because I think, you know, I think it's kind of an easy thing. I mean, like, I don't know if signs is the first one I can think of at the top of my head, but it's like, oh, you lose your faith, you gain your faith. And that's, it's, it, it's, it's easy. <laughs> it's an easy arc to go. And so I appreciated that they didn't go that route with her, that she's still, she's still fundamentally the same. She didn't have like a come to bast moment. Right. Cause even with like, <laughs> when she takes the heart shaped herb, they're like, shouldn't we like bury you and do like the ceremony? Yeah. And she's like, nah, <laughs> no. I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> save me if i have a heart attack yeah <laughs> no you know it'll keep me alive medicine right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no i i liked that too because it you know uh, again it was it was interesting choices and i liked seeing the interesting choices where they went away from what the tropish thing would be in a similar kind of movie um uh so Angela Bassett, I think, deserves uh, an Oscar for this movie. Um, Baller. <laughs> yeah, I, I 
was really impressed uh, with her performance in this. I was not expect the the thing was I was wondering how we were going to transition to Shuri, but for some reason I did not expect them to kill her off. I was really <laughs> shocked when they did that. I have a feeling that had Bozeman not passed, they probably would have still done that. Yeah, for the plot, you know, for the plot engine. Right. No, no, no. I I, th- I think that that and it probably would have been less of a surprise because I just felt like this family's already had so much tragedy. It's kind of like you know, it's but, just kind of been like, oh, wow. Like, I can't believe they did that. But um, the scene where she fires a Koye, though, that mm. was another scene not oh. people. Off Chef's guard. kiss. I have <laughs> friends who were like, I can't believe she just did that. Well, but I mean, her point is valid. Okoye yep. went with Killmonger, you know, until T'Challa came back because she was like, well, he won the challenge. He's the legitimate king, you know, like I, you know, and and even though I hate it, you know, you could tell from her acting in her eyes that she didn't like it, but she was doing what she felt was her duty to Wakanda, which was to follow this new king um, and and to have. Uh, Ramonda be kind of up, you know, like she had been carrying that, you know, uh, I, I, you know, she was angry about that. And then when she thinks maybe her daughter is dead too, it all comes up. like her performance. She was so magnetic in this movie. To me, she's the standout of this movie performance. Yeah. Uh, everything from her UN appearance. Although I did kind of laugh at the UN appearance because I'm like, I'm pretty sure the UN's bigger than that. It looked like a little office somewhere. (laughs) And I was just like... (laughs) I don't think it was the General Assembly. Because, okay. uh, you know, they have their work rooms and stuff. Yeah, think. they have the Security Council room, which is a smaller room. Mm. But the outfit was fire. So that was yeah, awesome. The outfit was fire. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, everything in the way that she was, like, so strong. Like, like that's the thing. Like, T'Challa was such a nice guy. And I'm like... When you're this like when you're like this lone country like like beset by the barbarians of the rest of the world like you kind of need to be a little bit harder than that and I was like you go girl <laughs> you know like <laughs> through everything that she was saying I'm like yes yes you've got it like I I loved it I loved her I thought that her performance was perfect in this and yeah I I, I think she could do no wrong which is funny because she was so. She she was kind of in the background of the first one, you know. Mm-hmm. She she wasn't mm-hmm. a major character, I would say, um, in that first movie. Uh, so I mean, she was obviously important because of her role, but uh, but yeah, she didn't have a lot of screen time, I don't think. And she uh-huh. was the recipient of one of the best moments in the film when when, when Killmonger shows up. Hey, Auntie. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was funny. Um. But yeah, other like, does anyone else have anything to add about, you know, Angela? I mean, I wanted to gush a little bit here because I usually go last on these round ones, but I was like, ah, if I want to go first on this one, you know, that and Shuri. But um, it's, it's, there is there is talk about Disney promoting her for best supporting. Mm-hmm. She should be. And she should be because she's. Yeah, gonna... I don't I don't think she'd win, but she should be. Don't um, count, don't count her out. <sighs> This is the same category that Whoopi Goldberg won in one foreign ghost. Yeah, just the Academy doesn't like to give stuff to genre films. Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it occasionally happens though. So I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's a you know 
sure thing that she wouldn't get it but uh but yeah no i i was i was really impressed um but uh yeah angie anything to add uh other than i really wish i could pull off her wardrobe or was <laughs> anywhere near as cool as queen ramonda or angela bassett for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i don't know she's always gonna be the driver in strange days to me um she was awesome there she continues to be awesome i'll watch whatever she's in <laughs> there and uh, tom anything to add about angela bassett in this nope, lover i went to a, a a secret screening in la after the movie had premiered but uh basically all the women except for letitia wright were there and they called ryan coogler on the phone who thanked the audience for helping make the film successful but no she's you know i was a couple rows back from her she's gorgeous in real life and wow just when you have her at the top of the call sheet <laughs> it's something special yeah i mean honestly obviously like no no surprise she turned in a great performance but i was just impressed by the character's elevation and just how much how much she killed it like you know it's like yeah angela bassett's gonna be good but it was like she was good <laughs> you know she was very good um so yeah i was i was very happy uh with that um akoye let's talk about akoye in this because akoye i think is one of the standouts that a lot of people liked from the last movie because of just how strong you know she was you know the the dora Meloja, you know like the whole like idea of these warrior women like guards you know in wakanda culture and i think a lot of people really i know my wife was all about okoye after we saw the first like black panther movie like it's how cool and tough she is you know um so yeah uh thoughts about um okoye's uh role in this movie uh let's start with you angie um, yeah i'm gonna Let's just let's start from the outset. Basically, every woman in this movie is like the most beautiful woman who can wear the best outfits. <laughs> and I'm super jealous yep. of all of them. <laughs> and kick serious booty. And kick some serious like I I've been trying to box. I suck. I don't like I I dream about being a Koya when I grow up. She's amazing. <laughs> and and uh, Danai Guerrero is, is a great actress. She's got such an expressive face. And I just, I it is a joy to watch her when she's on screen. I love her. I don't have anything. Uh, I'm just going to gush for a little while. <laughs> okay. That's fine. That's fine. Because I mean, like, that's like sort of the intersection also of, you know, uh, this being like a promotion of characters of color, but also of women, you know, and so we have Shuri and Okoye also that, are, you know, the, the, that are both like, you know, strong, you know, women in the, in the hero mode, because like Queen Ramonda's a strong woman, but she's a strong woman ruler she's Ooh. not a superhero right you know so like uh you know it's a it's a slightly different thing but yeah like akoye is is all kind of almost in that superhero mold because she's just so awesome a fighter it is superhuman you know in her in her capabilities yeah no the dora milaje like sniping at each other during fights is just it fills me with joy every time it happens yeah. why are you using knives <laughs> <laughs> i love that it made me think of ale from wheel of time you know uh you know and the, the spears it's all gonna be spears um but uh jd um what did you think about uh Aguirre? um i like that she went on a journey in this movie um i i mean i think her scene with queen ramonda where she gets fired is is one of the like two or three best scenes of the movie yeah 
Um, you can see the emotion on her face, like as it's all happening too. Like, so oh good. yeah, yeah. Both both actors killed it. Um, I yeah. Um, she she always gets the best fight scenes. Um, which is which is cool because they clearly trust her with those. Um, she's in oh, really two of the the top three fight scenes in the movie. Um, she's in the, the chase scene. Um, she has the fight on the bridge, which I think is the best fight scene in the movie. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, she is, uh, Okoye is a very versatile character in this movie who, who does a lot without kind of overpowering the movie. And I, I think, um, she is still one of the more compelling characters in this franchise. Tom? Just the fact that Denai Guerrero is such a, I mean, she's a fan favorite from Walking Dead, where she plays Michonne, and there's this upcoming limited series with her and, um, you know, the Rick Grimes character. And I would presume that the World of Wakanda Disney Plus series would have her in a major role because they they made such a big deal of introducing this new armor for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but no, she's that boy that just the look on her face when when Ramunda fires her, the hurt. And the thing is, wh- what's funny is that big speech they use in all the trailers. And I thought for sure that was at the UN or perhaps post blip or whatever. And the fact that it's in this movie and it's directed to one of her people and it's part of a reprimand and you know you, you know and a termination <laughs> it's like whoa mm-hmm. but yeah it's just and and ever ever the loyal person she finds a way to still serve even though she is not supposed to you know she is i mean she is never really restored to the door melage right no nope. so, but in this new role i would presume that you know we will see her next mm-hmm. on a d plus show but yeah, she's just, let me just say, it's. I love the fact that I didn't even think about till the movie was over. The only major black male character is M'Baku, played right. by Winston, mm-hmm. who's terrific. But, and then Killmonger shows up for the cameo. But there's actually been a little bit of backlash from black dudes about that, which I'm like, dude, get over yourself. <laughs> right? All right. To be You're fair. Yeah. To be <laughs> fair, you had Chadwick Boseman for four movies who was like, you know, amazing. Uh, you know, like everything you would want in a heroic character, like thoughtful, kind, you know, like every, you know, like, but also could do all the physicality and was, you know, this amazing force that would never like be dissuaded and everything. It's like, you know, you got your hero, you know, <laughs> like, like let somebody else have a hero. But it was, I, I think it's a testimony that you've got so many strong black women in this movie. They're all amazing actors they're captivating they're great fighters and i didn't miss not having other major black dudes in this movie and we don't we just basically have ross as a supporting white guy in this movie and then we can talk about (laughs) (laughs) 
all right and i don't i don't mean to like i don't mean to make this a big deal but i feel like everything in america other than like i feel like everything about them going to america almost was superfluous to this movie including Ron. and i love him <laughs> you know he's a great character like as far as you know and 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 he's 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 a he's he's a fine you know actor and everything's great as far as that goes it is not his problem it's the fact that i felt like the script was unfocused and it is one of the problems that i have where it's like this is the problem now that marvel is so big that we're starting to do things just to check boxes and I felt like that was a check the box, like remind everybody that, you know, uh, uh, Val is there, you know, uh, you know, have have this with Ross to, you know, make sure because we're going to position him to do something later. And it was just like n- none of that needed to be in this. It doesn't help that. It doesn't help that I do not like Julia Louis Dreyfus in that role. I think that she thinks she's funny, and I don't think she's funny. And it's just, yeah, it's just painful watching her on screen. Um, I, I really want them to get rid of her quickly, but I don't. I know they're not. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. no. I just get the distinct impression that um, the original versions of the script before Chadwick Boseman died that those were part of the original script, and because of the lineup they there wasn't anywhere else to put those scenes to establish those relationships and so they left them in but i do think the movie suffered for it because you're i mean i uh this movie is about grief um but unlike wandavision where they took the stakes way down um and and let us kind of wallow in it with wanda um this grief is pervasive in this film but they kept the stakes so high that you've got all of these like superfluous people and so yeah it, it does feel a little bit like yeah i'm i'm in it with shuri like i'm in it with ramonda i'm feeling this pain in wakanda but i don't care about america like <laughs> stop i don't want to go right anything they did in america could have been done differently (laughs) and they still could have had anything important that happened there happened somewhere else and it would have been fine i don't care about america's going on my tombstone (laughs) by the way i really i really think that one of those those vow scenes should have been a post-credit scene no yeah because it was so off story for this film that it it just it, it brings everything else to a to a screeching halt and you're just like marking time is she gone yet uh, uh, text me i'm going to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the movie definitely grinds to a halt in those scenes i don't think it does it originally because originally i thought ross was worked in very organically mm-hmm. and and integrated into the plot and the fact that he worked for val yeah, that could have been a fun throwaway. It was when we kept going back to it that I think it falls yes. apart. Um, and to your point, the the scene where she catches him at the end, um, I that absolutely should have been a post credit scene. A hundred percent. You could have done that with a very quick bumper. You could have made that uh, either more amusing or more like serious depending on the tone you need for whatever they're doing with Martin Ross moving forward. Um, but, uh, you know, I, that's another, like, I don't fault the actors. I think the actors did fine with what they had. Um, I don't know if it's the vestigial tale of the original script, because I know the original script was supposed to deal with T'Challa dealing with the time that he lost during the blip. Uh, from what I read was like the thrust of the original script. So I'm not sure 
how Ross and DeFontaine would have fit into that. I'm maybe, um, but I, it, those scenes are definitely the lower point to this movie. Um, thankfully, like they're not too frequent, but they're, they're frequent enough to be irritating for sure. Yeah. I, 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 I so want somebody else to be like the handler for the Thunderbolts, but I know it's going to be Val. And it's like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just dreading it. I'm just dreading it. So ever since she showed up in Captain America and the Winter Soldier or uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I, I have just been like, oh, this is like, Marvel's usually good about casting, but this is just bad. Like, oh, oh, oh. They, they, and she's only appeared, what, three times? She was yeah, in the end of Black Widow. Black Widow, Falcon and the Winter Soldier in this. The problem is, they can't decide if she's funny or a threat, and you can't have it both ways. She either she needs- can have it both ways, but I don't think it's written well both ways right now. Yeah, the the way they're writing it, it's just she's just annoying, which is not a good option. Yeah, I mean she's the well, last thing that's Seinfeld. part of the point of the character. Yeah, I think it's an affectation. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think- I, and after this movie, I would even bet further that it's an affectation. Yeah, like I think the character is supposed to be annoying. But uh, I don't even think uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus is is. I think the character is putting on an affectation of being super obnoxious. Mm-hmm. I I agree. I, I just think that's that's how she throws people off their game. Like I don't. So we'll see how it goes. I, but yeah, I. I don't know. It. I don't think we've seen her as her real self. self. Yeah. Well, she's no Amanda Waller. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Can I just say something about the, the 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 franchise stuff in the shows and in the shows and the movies is really starting to get obnoxious. They've got to find more organic ways to integrate stuff. I thought Riri Williams' introduction was organic because she's she's the catalyst character. You know, she gets the plot in motion because of the vivarium detector. But man, the other stuff. And and this has been the case in the last couple of Marvel films too. It's just so. It's almost like, hey, remember the in old comics books where they had the little box at the bottom say number fifty seven. Yeah, it's almost that obnoxious now. It's like, oh my, they've <laughs> got to figure this out because it's just. And I don't even think this movie is a huge offender of that. No, this no. is this is one of the better ones, but man, they're But just... then here's the converse, Tom. When people when when they do Eternals, which has no links other than just oblique references to Thanos, everybody's <laughs> like, Oh, well, Eternals, it didn't connect to anything. So like, you know, I hated that. Like That's oh, one of the things that I like about I that movie exactly. is it's ballsy <laughs> enough to just be like, No, screw that other shit. Like we don't care. <laughs> we don't care about your mythology. We have our own that we have here. <laughs> right. So it's are like you can't win. Fanboys and fangirls are entitled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. How dare you not give me the look that I was expecting to see? There's just something about the fact that fanboys and girls have been given everything they want over the last <laughs> like 12 years. Yeah. The, the little bit of entitlement that happened because of that. Yeah, so Tom, you started off with uh, Riri Williams, so let's talk about her in this. What did you What did you think about her? You know, you said that her inclusion was organic, but what did you think about her as a character? I thought she was fun. Um, I thought it was smart to have Shuri be the mm-hmm. point of contact for her because you, 
<laughs> the young gifted and black joke was I I died laughing. Y'all might not get that, but that that's a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> but I thought that was brilliant. But so I thought that Dominique Thorne has presence, but just the fact that she already had the the Mark One Ironheart armor built as well as the vibranium detector. And then she's a little bit in awe of Shuri until Shuri basically says, I want to, I want to kidnap you. It's like, <laughs> what? And then when people start gunning for her, it's like, uh, I'm coming. <laughs> so I thought that that was pretty organic. For me, it, it's kind of fitting because Bozeman's introduction in Black Panther and Civil War, less screen time overall, but also very, you know, plot engine. Uh, what's his face? Zemo murders T'Chaka. And so, of course, T'Challa's going to come after him. So Marvel's shown that they can do the, you know, the backdoor setups well, but it's just that they haven't been doing it well of late. So, and in this one, Riri has done well, but but Val, not so much. So it's like, ugh. But yeah, she was fun character. Thought it was interesting when, you know, she doesn't get to take the armor with her, but of course she's brilliant so she can make her own. Angie? Yeah, um, I think I might just be over teenagers. Like, it's been long enough since I was one that I'm just like, not <laughs> Oh, super boy, interested. do I have bad news for you about the future <laughs> of the MCU. I, I <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I thought she was, I, I liked that they took Shuri and put her in the more worldwide position to Riri's kind of, not starstruck, but like, Oh, it's the princess of Wakanda. Like I recognize you and you're here in my dorm room. And like, I, I liked that. And I thought her reaction to being kidnapped and taken to water world was really realistic. And <laughs> frankly, like I appreciated that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if it's just an attitude thing that kind of, cause Miss Marvel, I had the same issue. I was like, please stop being such like, I'm a brilliant teenager. Please stop. Like I, that that particular trope bugs me a little bit. I think. Um, I hate to say this. <laughs> there's so much. many genius teenagers coming. I well, know. No, but I, know. <laughs> I have having taught college for 24 years. They all think they're geniuses. And we <laughs> mm -hmm. tell them, hey, guess uh, what? You're not as smart as you think you are. <laughs> I don't know. I maybe it's just a reminder of like all the dumb crap I pulled when I was also 19 and stupid and thought I was brilliant. So like I, that has to be frustrating because the teenage characters are all the best characters in the MCU right now. Uh, I don't know. I'll deal. I'm sure. Um, no, but the actual, I, I don't have any issues. The actress said that she did well with what she has. Um, she's 19. So she's almost out of it. Maybe she yeah, there you go. It. she's at least in college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only thing that I would say is, especially with the I'm super brilliant genius, I'm I make my suit at 19, is that it, it's it's like I worry about where they go with it, right? It seems like the power level creep goes sky high because you're starting with so much so early. Um, with Spider-Man, they they you know he wasn't the one necessarily that made his tech, and he ended up losing it, and I thought that was awesome because that kind of prevents that problem. And now here's Ruri with a with an Iron Man suit immediately as a teenager again. And I, and she made it. So I, I, I worry about that. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that the series is going to have like the Wakandan built Ironheart no. suit. I imagine that she's going to go back to her, her janky home built suit, which like, 
as strong as it is and as as powerful as she is in it there's a lot of room for growth <laughs> yeah i i thought her introduction was great and i thought she did a lot uh for this movie and i was very happy that they paired her with shuri um and gave shuri some somebody that felt like relevant to her outside of her family to to interact with um i i i thought that that was a pretty smart way to introduce that character um i think they picked the right movie to do it in for sure yeah i'm uh I'm I'm going to be a little bit of my, uh, more with Angie, I think, on this one because and it's not the fact that she's a genius. That's my problem. It's just like I felt like she was superfluous. I mean, like they could have had the technology come from anybody, and it could have been anyone. And I don't feel like her inclusion, other than the fact that we know a series is coming, so it seems like another check the box of we've got this series coming, so let's set up the character. And I feel like none of her interactions were important, or you know, and none of the things that she did within the movie other than the oh i created this thing that then drives the plot with this you know uh vibranium detector um but but none of the things she actually does within the movie uh really is all that important or anything and i didn't feel like i was not impressed by her character in any way like there was nothing about her that in a movie of standout performances and maybe that's the real rub for her is that in a movie of standout performances it was like i felt she was kind of like eh, she's okay the good actors surrounded by the the superb that actors yeah. <laughs> right exactly why and do that's... you not love children nathan <laughs> stole your joy <laughs> And, and the other thing, and, and this is getting a little petty, but like we already talked about how Letitia Wright looks young, even though I felt like they did a great job in this movie of making it look like a number of years have passed since the original Black Panther and she looked more mature. Like Dominique Thorne does not look like she's 19 at all. Like I'm looking at her and I'm like, this is a woman in her mid 20s, you know, like and I was like, I didn't buy that she was this this teenager fresh in college. Um but that's uh, good. She's not. <laughs> <laughs> she has graduated from Cornell. So. <laughs> oh, I thought you guys said that she's. Wasn't there something that she's nineteen in the in the, the, movie? Characters. the characters? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, that's that's the thing. So it's like I wasn't really buying that she was young, uh, that young. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's, it's a thing. We we had a great a lot of great performances, and you know, I I just feel like she was just kind of. Matt and I felt like that was part of the unfocus of the script was also the need to include this character because there's another series coming um and uh and yeah I mean I don't know that she I mean Kamala didn't need to be introduced in a in a movie before they did Miss Marvel and I don't feel like Riri really needed to be introduced here before she had her own series but whatever and uh, Miss Marvel is much better known than Riri Williams is. Riri Williams has only existed in Marvel for like five years. Isn't less that than. the same from for Kamala? No, Kamala's oh, been Kamala's been around for a while. Yeah, Kamala's been around since the early mid two thousands. So I mean, it's, been... it's after two thousand, so I don't care. What her has... books are <laughs> her books are consistently highly read. Yeah. Um. So she definitely has more. Um. Uh, she she has more name value, I think, than than Riri Williams does. I I, mm. I really do feel like this character did need to be introduced in a movie. Um, and this was the best pick for it. 
Uh, I don't disagree that maybe they could have made her uh, more than a MacGuffin for half the movie because um, they just did that formula with America Chavez. Mm. So they could have changed that formula up a little. In mm. fairness, they did it better than America Chavez. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Because they, they give her agency and make her do stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she also didn't have to say a line like, I know I'm the only one because I don't dream. <laughs> Why do you hate children? The worst thing about Multiverse of Madness is this idea that dreams are peering into alternate realities. Why do you, I, why do you hate whimsy and fun so much? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm I'm over America Chavez. It is true. Uh, I actually don't I love usually her. like things with with child protagonists. I, I I I'm not a fan. Um. But anyway, <laughs> that isn't the reason. I mean, that isn't that isn't. I mean, because Riri is an adult, um, and I just feel like her character was not like you know charismatic enough to really operate on the same level as as so many other characters that we had here. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you know the other the other main thing that we haven't talked about is of course um, the inclusion of Nemor, who I'm going to call the Landwalker. Um, because they basically murder? gave him Blade's origin. <laughs> 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 but all right, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. People who listen to the show a lot know I I absolutely love Namor. Uh, he is my number one comics character. Um, you know, I I I I love the character. I love everything about him. Um, and I have been excited for the idea of having uh Namor in uh in in the mcu oh you um, really don't like whimsy <laughs> and joy those are two things that namor despises Holy um, shit. i feel like i'm getting a window into your soul right now okay and yeah like you know people were you know i mean like so from a from a like sort of petty angle like yeah i wasn't happy that they changed it from atlantis you know but mm. that was one of those things where it's kind of like yeah i get it and it's fine. You can cast, you know, an actor of any ethnicity as Namor and it's fine. You know, uh, you know, that's not going to really be a deep issue. It's just the main thing that sticks with me is it's because they're like, well, people think we'll rip off Aquaman. And I'm and I'm like, Namor came first, <laughs> like, but not in movies and movies. Aquaman came first. Well, also, I think if you pulled most people, um, I think most people would guess that Aquaman came first. Oh no, I know. I yeah, know. that's that's definitely the public perception. People people don't clock that Namor is that old or that he's the first mutant or the actually the first Marvel superhero. Like people Right. I mean, you have to be of a certain certain level of nerddom to really uh kind of get that going in. Deep cuts, baby. But uh but yeah, so his powers were very well depicted. Uh really like uh -huh. seeing the the strength level, you know, and everything like when he's soaking wet, like he's as strong as the Hulk. And it's like that they showed that, you know, like um and the flight and all of that was very well done. Um that character was not Namor in any way, shape or form. Um it's the idea of making him this like hundreds of years old character that's worshipped as a god changes him so fundamentally. And I get that Namor in the comics is almost at 100, you know, right now. But the thing is, for so much of that period, he wasn't forming new memories. And so he's still mentally a fairly young guy. Um, I like Namor because he's one of those characters 
um, kind of in the same vein as a Thor or like Goliath on Gargoyles, if you know what that is, or that that's a character that's driven to passion, um, but is can be thoughtful in times of rest. And what I feel like we got from the performance of Namor in this is a character who's very ponderous, who's very sort of not at all driven by um emotions he makes some decisions that seem irrational but not but there's not really the energy or the charisma behind it it's just kind of like i've just decided that i'm gonna do this oh i just like you know showed that i can conquer wakanda but i'm gonna give you guys a week now and there were a lot of like weird choices that he made but it wasn't the idea of he seems to be like just a character who's who's just like driven by the moment or any of that too and um, I feel like there was a story they could have told, uh, especially with the idea of somebody who has the air breathing uh, father and the water breathing mother and the person who doesn't feel at home in either location and all of that. And and going with this thing where he's both an ancient being and a being that is really truly, even though he can breathe air, is is of the sea. Um, you know, it's just a, it's just a very different character. So they wanted to draw this parallel uh, between you know, uh, colonizers in Africa and colonizers in South America that I also don't feel was necessary because the idea of vibranium being found in the ocean already takes you to the idea of, you know, you could talk about how Africa has been treated for its resources and how people come in. And so it wouldn't necessarily be something where they would need to be people who were descended from people who were attacked by the Spanish to understand also that, oh, like, we know what's going to happen. Like, once something valuable is found here, we're going to be displaced, we're going to be attacked. So I, I just, I, I did not care for it. And the, giving him Blade's origin, you know, all of their strength, none of their weaknesses. And, you know, turned, her mom was turned while he was she was pregnant with him. I, I, it was unnecessary. I didn't like the character. I was very unhappy with that aspect of it. Um, I know I'm the minority because of everything I'm reading on Facebook where everybody loved him, but I was not happy with this character at all. Um, but uh, JD, start us off. <laughs> well, everybody on Facebook is praising his character because uh, he was brilliant in the movie and his character is uh, fantastic. And I'm sorry if he's not namor enough for you, but <laughs> Namor has very difficult place in the mcu given that his one character quality in the comics is unrepentant <laughs> <laughs> but it's like for instance i never physically he was a threat but he was never intimidating there was never anything about like there was no charisma as part of my oh, problem I, with I the character i could not disagree like, with you he more. was just he was so real stayed fine. i don't i <laughs> cannot possibly disagree with you more oh he was stayed and boring i, oh, I he just... can talk at me all day he long he is driven by passion the entire movie that's what all of this is he's going after revenge for revenge's sake he is the like dark mirror of shuri in this movie kind of like uber killmonger yeah my issue with him is ryan coogler was like well what made a successful villain in the last movie copy paste <laughs> there we go uh we have the same motivations now so i mean to that sense like he's a little too echoey for me but like you know, he is a person in mourning for his people and their way of life, and he is expressing his grief through trying to burn down the world because f- him. 
Um, the reason why he gives Wakanda an ultimatum and shows them their power is because he knows that he needs help. So he's reaching out to the only other country that and people that he knows like he has an argument with and wants to mess with. Um, I, I, I overall really like this performance. I am not a purist in any sense. So I, I don't, I don't care that they changed his origin. <laughs> like, I don't think any of those are ever sacred to me. So like, I don't care that they scrapped Atlantis or, or any of that. The bigger part is that, you know, like I said, he, his, he, his decisions are not in any way like logical and like, he doesn't have a good screen presence. I mean, those are my real issues with the character fundamentally. I didn't think that he did anything illogical. Because even like the thing you're saying, he wants to ally with Wakanda, like none of the decisions he makes are like, I know that's what he says, but none of the decisions he makes like really seem to be in that vein. Um, You know, like it's all like, I'm going to kill your queen and damage your city. Now ally with me. Well, that was, that was because like people had killed his people and he's going eye for an eye with it. And he put trust in Shuri and that trust was violated. Right. And that made sense attacking them at that point, but then also being like, well, now ally with me. And it's just like, what? Well, and like, then that, he's that's... just like, he's just rolled up and been like, all right, I've now shown you my strength. I have killed your queen. Uh, I've killed a lot of people. You all thought that you were completely untouchable. You're not. Uh, so if you don't want this to happen to everything, uh, you got seven days. Goodbye. I tried to be nice to you and get you to work with me that way. Now I am beating you with the stick. <laughs> that and that logic worked for me. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think my issue, I think my issue with him comes back to um, a lot of the motivations that he has are very similar to the ones that Killmonger have had in the last movie. Um and uh, so, I mean, like on the surface, it resonates well, but it doesn't hit quite the same way. Um, uh, outside of that, though, like I have no I have no issues with the performance or the, the character as written. Um, yeah. yeah, I was and pretty positive with it. I, I think he is probably top five MCU villain, probably. For me, anyway. Okay. All right, Angie. Man, all right. I have so much to unpack here. Um, <laughs> one, you're crazy. His screen presence was amazing. Thank you. Just read me a phone book. <laughs> I'll watch him do it. I'll listen happily. <laughs> um, I I think that there was meant to be. I don't. I've got on the record that I'm not a fan of love in general on my television screen or my movie screen. Um, I don't think that we were meant to ship Shuri and Namor. I don't think that was the intention, but I think there was supposed to be a connection there that Namor could could exploit and was obviously mm -hmm. exploiting. He definitely wanted her to understand him. For sure. Like that was, that was important to him. I, I didn't get the romance part of that. I just, I, this is a guy who is deeply lonely, who is expecting somebody who is lost in ways that he has to understand. The interesting thing, and here's, here's the other thing too. The Aquaman movie recently came out. I think 
whether you know that Namor preceded Aquaman, we've got a problem there. Putting him in Atlantis, basically giving him the exact same story that they followed in the Aquaman movie, whether it's fair or not, right? It just is what it is. So I didn't mind them changing that at all. I also am kind of obsessed with um, Mayan and Aztec like imagery. It's so cool and so like just fun and um, visually stunning. So the fact that, you know, the the Afrofuturism of the first Black Panther was so visually amazing. And then they just built on it by throwing on this meso and Central American awesomeness, South American awesomeness on top of it was great. But I, I will say one of the things that I liked about the first movie is I didn't have to actively decide to, to suspend my disbelief. Um, this movie, I felt like in some, in some places I did, I just basically had to be like, it looks cool. So I'm just going to go with it, even though this is nonsensical. And I think if they'd actually kept his original origin story, I would have been far more annoyed by having to do that because I, I would have heard Atlantis and just rolled my eyes. Um, but <laughs> that is what it is. Um, so I, I really liked what they did. The other thing though, that I think is cool. And again, I'm, I'm not a comic reader. I have, I'm not familiar with Namor in the comic books, but and I'm, I'm not familiar with Kang, which was my huge problem with the Loki show. <laughs> <laughs> but this, the thing about having him be old, having him be several hundred years old and having him be from a very warlike society originally means that when Kang comes to town, I think that's going to be a really interesting watch. I think watching those two interact is going to be really fun. And I'm here for it. Oh, I, I definitely, definitely got the sense watching this that they are, they are setting Namor up to be a thing. Uh, an entity that people will have to deal with moving forward he is not going away he is not on sides he is out for himself which is what he was in the comics always (laughs) yeah and i don't know like if you asked me to take a guess of where he'd fall with king i don't actually know and i'm excited i just i like i think that's going to be really interesting to watch because they they have a lot more in common in terms of this Mm -hmm. longevity in terms of like uh, Wakanda, right? It's Afrofuturism and it's a monarchy, but it's a modern monarchy, right? Like the, it's it's more like the British monarchy in that there are rules and there's traditions that you respect, but you have modern sensibilities. He's not. He's old and he's from a warrior society and and just killing people is just a thing you do. He saw what the world did to his people, so he <laughs> is still the big mad about it. Yeah. And yeah. he should be. <laughs> but he also i think there's not that moral like our modern sensibilities right we are far less prone to violence in, in terms of acceptability in our in our society than we have no, been i mean no he's years yeah he's, he's more than happy to like kill hundreds of people to send a point <laughs> right yeah. and I mean, he does and it's we're... it's really interesting to watch i really enjoyed it we're theoretically the civilized being you know in the contemporary slash modern world but he's not of our time and he's from a time where you got a problem with somebody you don't just kill them you kill out their bloodline yep what problem no future problem Mm -hmm. i um yep i kill you and i killed your child so you can't come back so they can't come back and get revenge revenge. yep absolutely the um it's interesting I really like the change of, uh, first off, Namor has always been depicted as basically stereotypical Asian. I mean, and just in terms of 
Asian features. Really? Is that what you get from the big forehead? Because I don't think that that seemed necessarily I'm thinking, Asian. I'm thinking more about the eyebrows and the ears. And somebody said um, if, you know, for a while it was like, Sp- you know, classic Spock was Namor. But I see that I, a lot we, more than Asian. Yeah. I really, well, people complained about, there were people who complained about them making him uh, Latin. And I'm like, well, Atlantis isn't real. Where do you want <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like when I don't <laughs> understand why Hollywood won't give actors from Atlantis work. It's really <laughs> gross. Just like when uh, Anna Diop was cast as Starfire on Titans, people were upset. It's like, were there orange actresses you knew of that wanted the role and didn't? I mean, come on, she's, <laughs> a, she's an alien with green eyes. Um, for me. The and I, I can understand intellectually why they made it Telecon instead of Atlantis, and yeah, whatever. Right. But I really, uh, you know, backing up what Angie was saying, I really like the look of Telecon. I did too. One of my problems with the, I mean, Aquaman was big, dumb fun. I mean, let's just put that out there. Yeah, it <laughs> big, dumb fun. No one will ever mistake Aquaman or Black Adam for that matter as a good movie Aquaman, <laughs> Aquaman however is still Warner Brothers second highest grossing movie ever really I did not know that after Harry Potter 8 wow okay it is their second oh. highest grossing movie ever so I can understand why they changed why they changed the name of the place where he came from but man I love the look of underwater telecon because it looks like a real culture based on something instead of complete fantasy BS. Like, you know, Atlantis and Aquaman, it was just boring. I why mean, do, why do you hate Jack Kirby, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Jack Kirby didn't create Atlantis. Well, no, but he created <laughs> fantasy realms like an eternal. You, didn't want, you don't want fantasy realms that are just nowhere, you know, like made up. No. So. Hey, give me my New Gods movie. I would be <laughs> yeah, you're always talking about New Gods. You don't want fantasy? What? What's going on here? But Atlantis, I, I mean, Atlantis I, isn't a realm. Know, Atlantis boring. is just a place underwater it's boring (laughs) generic fantasy bs whereas talocon felt more real because it's based on an actual if you take us i mean according to plato and those and the greeks there supposedly there was a historical atlantis we think it's bs but there was a historical atlantis that sunk off the coast of you know in somewhere in the mediterranean Mm -hmm. although some people put it more outside out more mainstream atlantic but every depiction i've ever seen of atlantis in the movies it's just basically generic slap fantasy slash futuristic city it doesn't look like anything it just looks like you know hey i thought you know like somebody's playing with lego sets and like we'll put this here and this here it'll be cool whereas this i felt it felt much more real to me because i didn't realize we were going to go this hard on atlantis (laughs) You take a Mesoamerican culture. I feel sorry for it. (laughs) And it was just cool. I mean, I wanted to get a guided tour. I mean, I I was surprised we didn't get more of Talakan. And uh, and I'm sure we will get more because they've obviously set Namor and his people up for sequels. I'm surprised they didn't say the Submariner will return at the very end (laughs) of the movie. The Landwalker will return. (laughs) But no, I... I, He's never called the Submariner. I mean... There, I, love, you know, I, I think he's, you know, I think he's got oodles of charisma. 
Um, I was totally shipping him and Shuri until he like ganked her mom. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that is actually the one thing from the comics character that they left in is like Namor like falls in love with everybody. Like, you know, like oh, yeah. he oh, and I, yeah. I, I think completely one sided on his part. Make a pass at Sue Storm either before after she was married to Reed. Oh, oh God, that's the big one. Like the the Namor Sue Storm relationship is the is the big one like that keeps persisting. Whereas he's had like interest in lots of women, but like, yeah, that's the one that keeps coming back. He's the one that got away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think um I think uh I think this this background does somehow unbelievably ground it more into the MCU and more into reality. Um so I, I I appreciated that. I I love the line that Mbaku gives about like what his people call him. They don't call him king or emperor. Mm. It's such a good line. They call him Kukul Khan, the feathered serpent. Mm. He's Kukul for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> I thought it was cool though, tying him into the uh I can't remember if it's Aztec or Mayan legends of Kukul Mayan. Khan. So yeah, I just thought that, you know. Unlike some changes that comic book movies make to characters, ancient one, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> unlike some changes, this one really made sense, and they and they took advantage of it. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, yeah, I I think the ancient one one is more defensible, uh, personally. But yeah, um, I understand. I, I got that one. Um, but uh, yeah, because as far as I'm concerned, they foxed him. They did what Fox did with so many things, which is we take a name and we completely change the character uh, that that name is applied to. So, um, but, you know, and I get it, though. I'm like one of like 10 Namor fans in the world. So, you know, it's it's they're not losing any money because of it. So, you know, it's never going to matter. Um, but, and, and you've got the key Namor characteristics, too. I mean, physically, physically. I mean, come right. on. we got the powers. You got the powers. You got the attitude, but he doesn't. He's so ponderous and stayed. Like I was like, I wanted to see like real anger. I wanted to see the, mm, but we don't ever get that. Like it's just kind of like even when he's like giving his ultimate, he's just kind of like, you have one week, you know. But I come back, you know, and then he flies off, and it's just like, mm, give me, give me some energy, man. I never got it. But... I, I got the impression he was trying to feel them out. He. Because Wakanda has vibranium, they're the only nation that he's really af not I'm not afraid, but go going toe to toe with, they, they could pose, pose a threat. threat. He wants to negate that threat. He wants to neutralize it, but he doesn't necessarily care how. Right? If they're allies, awesome. Uh, if if they're not allies, awesome. Like he doesn't. But he's not immediately going on the offensive he's trying to feel out how they're going to respond to him and i think he feels like it sixes at the end whether he attacks them or mary shuri so like i <laughs> that's what i, I was I, like I... I was like when shuri doesn't kill him i'm like marriage alliance <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that's what i mean is what i'm really looking forward to because like you do get the sense that he's he's got this fight in him that we in this rage in him that we haven't really seen it's just been kind of hinted at but I, I mean, I, they're they're smart people over at Marvel. I think we'll see it. Yeah, I, I yeah, they fundamentally changed the character. They're writing the character that they created. I mean, like, but I, I think that they fundamentally changed so many aspects of him. Honestly, I wanted to just see like, oh, like you know, uh, 
Atlantis feels like, you know, because something's happening that Wakanda's the only surface world like nation that can stand against them. So they're going to start with them, but have it be more of Atlantis wants to just get rid of like the surface world for like destroying the oceans. An environmentalist message would have been perfectly fine and perfectly good, and we didn't need like all of this stuff. But it's it's whatever. Um, well, that would have been kind of generic, though. That's uh, by the that's way, Atlantis. I mean, that's one hundred and one for an underwater culture. That's... Well, I mean, we, we, we've, we've seen that in the DCU when, yeah. when they had the versions of either Aquaman or other Atlanteans who want to declare war on the surface world for screwing up the oceans. Speaking of which. I just I have no idea what's in this Flash movie that theoretically will come out sometime next year. Even though, what's his face needs therapy. They're they're tripling down on it though. Like this is oh, like know, the I one know. thing that they're like, we've moved this Flash movie so many times. We're doing this June of twenty twenty three, and it's going to be Ezra Miller because we don't have time to change it. You know? <laughs> but the, the thing that I think is a missed opportunity, if it is indeed an adaptation of Flashpoint, one of the highlights of the Flashbook comic book series was the war between Themyscira and Atlantis, mm-hmm. which got really, really violent and people, you know, major characters did not survive that. But when Talokan and Wakanda are at it, I'm like, boy, if DC had cojones, which we know they don't because they're a hot mess, they would have put <laughs> that in. They would have put that in. I mean, the two, arguably the two franchises, the last sequel notwithstanding, that have worked for DC, at least the first solo movies, were Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And if they had had Themyscira and Atlantis at war as part of the backstory or the, you know, in Flashpoint, that would have been cool. But I got a little bit satisfied with uh, Talokan versus Wakanda in this. So, yeah, I feel like that that was way too short. Um, like the actual war on Wakandan soil. Um, you know, I would have liked a lot more of that. Dude, they're kicking butt. <laughs> I think one of my complaints in the movie is just, hey, hey, Shuri, um, their whole civilization like lives in water and fights in the water. Maybe don't decide to fight them on a boat. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> I, I, I had an look, issue with you're that. You're smarter than me. I get it. So maybe I, I'm missing the big picture here. I, but... I also had an issue that when they crash that they're like 50 feet away from water and Namor doesn't just take a dip and then start attacking Shuri. Like, I'm like, that's, that's like, come on, really? Like, like, like it's right I there. I saw the size <laughs> of the Wakandan force at the beginning of the fight. And I saw the size of the force that was left. A lot of people ain't coming home. <laughs> no. Yep. Um, I wanted to kind of like mention a point that I had, I had brought up earlier, which was I had wanted more out of the Shuri and Killmonger scene. Hmm. It, it's still one of the most effective scenes in the movie for me. What I wanted out of it was I really feel like they shortchanged Killmonger because uh, his ancestral plane self has learned no lessons. Mm. Um, and Shuri doesn't push back on him at all because his his response to her when she gets there is, uh, no, they wronged you. They took they they took your father. Uh, they took your mother your brother would be too noble to go do this. But if you were going to be that noble, that's what, you know, you, I wouldn't be the one talking to you. So like, go, go handle your business, go get your revenge. And I wanted Shuri to be like, okay, but that didn't work for you. You're hella (laughs) dead now. Can you convince me why I should do this? And I get that it was the emotional side of it as, as well, but 
I wanted I wanted more out of that. I wanted Killmonger to go into some of the like what he would do differently or or what lessons he learned. Uh, give her some kind of edge aside from just, yeah, go to the dark side. It'll be fine. I don't know why he needed to have learned lessons. <laughs> he is a master tactician and he could have done that. Here's my counter to that argument, JD. Because we know about Shuri's skepticism of mysticism, was she re- was she really on the ancestral plane or is she just hallucinating? And if she's hallucinating, then she's going to see versions of the people she knows, not, you know, I, so uh, no, I not. think she's supposed to be on the ancestral plane. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'm fine with Tom's interpretation of it, but I'm also fine with it being the ancestral plane and him not having learned any lessons. What's he going to learn? That's the draw of him. He's right. It's his actions that were monstrous, but his philosophy was not wrong. Yeah, and I, I think that's what I would have wanted to hear from him was like, no, you're right in in leaning into this anger, but you need to be careful of like falling into this trap or. You know, don't kill your boyfriend. Yeah, that something. was bad. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> don't I'll convince you yet, boyfriend. Angie. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to ship them. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I'm fine. Like, if they decide that that's like the thing that they want to do instead of like you know uh, the Sue Storm thing, uh, which you know is has been done to death in comics, I'm fine with that because it's like. This is a powerful woman, like for him to be sort of taken by her and for him to like, and she comes from the one place on earth that he regards people as equals anyway. Like, I, I don't know. I think that that could work. Um, okay. Um, but oh, uh, I was referencing Killmonger killing his girlfriend. Like, yeah, uh, I, I regret yeah. killing my girl. Don't kill your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> there would be boyfriend. My philosophy is still right. Well, I know, but you I, called him. You called him her boyfriend. So I'm just saying, uh, I'll convince you yet that that's <laughs> that that's what's going on there. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the ending, which which kind of unpacks a few things. I was surprised there wasn't a second post-credit scene because i felt with all the stuff they were doing to set things up within the movie i thought for sure that they were going to put in something to set up uh, another movie or disney plus show in like a post-credit scene whereas this this is more like a coda on this movie uh the the mid-credit scene that they have i mean i get that yes potentially it sets us other things as well but there that's long long term that's like 10 years away kind of stuff that it's setting up um, because of the age of of the character involved. Well, we've got, don't forget we've got uh, Kang coming up. Yeah, do you think they would do that? Because that seems kind of like, oh, Should now we... we've got a new T'Challa because he came from the future. You know, Stranger like things have happened. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't disagree that maybe in either Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars we might see a future T'Challa, but I wouldn't then want them to make him like a regular character, like within like the core timeline until the actual kid like aged, or the the, the kid could have aged up to the right age. They've but, been um, doing a lot of recasting of these kid characters. That solves my teenager problem. We just. Jump forward 10 years. <laughs> All of them are late 20s now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the fact that, um, you know, the reason why Nakia was barely in this movie is because she was raising her kid away from all this craziness uh, in Haiti 
um basically like yeah like and the thing was like nobody knew except the queen because like everybody just thought that she just cut and ran and i'm like man that's harsh you know <laughs> but because they they wanted to keep the she she and t'challa because i guess when t'challa came back from the blip he learned he had a kid you know there was enough time for that because we're never given a really good timeline of how long after the blip it is that he gets sick yeah. but um you know, uh, there was some time there uh, that, you know, he learned that he had a kid and they said, you know, it was a combined decision that they made, you know, uh, as far as like, you know, him, that her not coming back to Wakanda when he was dying and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we also have the fact that M'Baku apparently is going to become the king of Wakanda, which is before the mid credits. But that's the other part of the end. Uh, so I'm going to say two things right off the bat. First, I was terrified that when the queen was like there's something you need to know about your brother but was then was cut off that it was going to be something like they were going to have some contrived like stupid thing about how like something was done to his body and he's going to come back but he's going to look different and i thought like we might have a post credit scene showing the coffin and it starts shaking or something and i was like god don't do because this is the worst thing you could have done <laughs> You know, to like <laughs> give us the potential for maybe he comes back, you know. Uh, so I was glad they didn't go that route because that that was a fear that I had after that line. Um, the uh, the the other thing was I thought because they kept being so weird about this, they kept saying the illness, the you know the thing, like they would never like define it or say anything about it, and they were very cagey about the details. I thought we were going to have a post credit scene of Kang basically being like well, that's taken care of, and you find out that he, like, had infected T'Challa or something with some mystery futuristic virus, that that's why Shuri couldn't heal him, was because it was something made by technology far beyond, and it's like Kang's, like, lining up, like, you know, gotten rid of Tony Stark, gotten rid of Captain America, gotten rid of T'Challa, you know, like, he's setting up, like, the history that he wants, and I thought that would have been cool, but we didn't get that. Well, Cap's not dumb, he's just old. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't use his death to former forward a a storyline i'm glad they left it i i only say that because somebody pointed out when we talked about loki i think that it's like if there's one like if there's some timeline that you know he was trying to set up the the sacred timeline that it seems interesting that he needed both steve rogers and tony stark out of the way and i was like oh they could actually like put the t'challa like death in with that as well you know like it's like he's getting rid of people like he thinks are threats you know in his sacred timeline so um i thought that would be interesting but anyway um but yeah tom what do you think about the ending like overall i thought it was great i thought that uh winston duke did a great job as mbaku you know providing comic relief when when appropriate but also providing wise counsel to shuri when necessary. apparently from what I've read, uh, a lot of his stuff was ad-libbed. Huh. Doesn't surprise me. Um, most of the insults that he throws at uh, at Okoye, bald-headed demon was absolutely ad-libbed and on the moment. <laughs> uh, the scene where he walks in uh, eating carrots was also, so, like <laughs> he pulled them from craft services. Oh, that's hysterical. Like he just walked onto his take eating the carrots and they could they kept it so <laughs> yeah, i hope he gets a really big bump in this movie because even though you know line wise it's not a big part yeah. in terms of background he just gives you know he he he, he brings a, a, a bit of energy levity 
and yet gravitas i mean just i mean he's and he's been in other stuff obviously um the the three the three moments where i got for Klimt were the marvel fanfare sans the actual music mm. with the montage of bozeman's the black panther scenes and then the actual montage of bozeman scenes toward the end of the movie which if they had put that anywhere sooner it no it, it was yep. perfectly placed mm-hmm. it was exactly and then at where the very it should end, be when we meet when we meet little to saint and he tells them his wakandan name i am prince t'challa son of king t'challa it's like oh and he's and he's cute too <laughs> so yeah I, I thought it was a fitting in and the nice thing is it retroactively explains where Nakia was during, you know, the Infinity War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I thought that that worked well because, yeah, like I kept wondering, like, where is she? Like, why did they? I was like, was the actress just not available? They can only have her for like a little time. Like, what's going on? So, yeah. But no, I thought it was. Uh, I I thought you know it it was a very sad for me. It was a very satisfying you know three course meal. All right. All right, JD. Um, yeah, I mean the two the two scenes that got me were the exact two scenes that you just mentioned. Uh I I got past the fanfare and was okay at the beginning. Um yeah, those uh but I, I left the movie a a ugly crying mess because of um I think it was a very smart decision for the movie to end on a very personal note with Shuri. Uh, I agree with you that that was the absolute, the time to pull out the, the montage and anywhere else it would have felt cheap. Um, and obviously the post credit scene is, is uh, uh, emotional in a different way, but still, still brought me to tears. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the entire movie kind of functions as a tribute to Chadwick Boseman. I think those two scenes are where it's at, at its most explicit. Um, and I, I think the movie is better for it. All right, Angie. Yeah. Agreed with everything. Uh, I was warned. So I brought a box of tissues <laughs> with me. I did use a lot of them throughout the whole movie. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, some things that haven't been said. Um, Winston Duke interacting with Martin Freeman was one of my absolutely <laughs> favorite parts of the first movie. Yeah. And so King M'Baku dealing with with Ross, uh, I look forward to seeing more of that uh, moving forward. I will I will love every minute of it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether I want him to get the heart-shaped herb himself, too. Um, Part of me is like, you deserve it, man. You deserve that it. That was my working theory for who was going to be Black Panther in this movie. Yeah, I don't want to take away from Shuri. Mm-hmm. And Shuri's, Shuri's in a weird spot, right? She restored the herb, so she kind of gets a pass. Like, she didn't have mm-hmm. to fight her way to get it. So I would be cool if M'Baku got it uh, as kind of the, as, you know, continuing the tradition. Um, yeah, I mean... I, I can see the other arguments either way, uh, but just like at a, on a personal, emotional level, that guy deserves that flower. <laughs> he deserves <laughs> it. Um, that and yeah, the the kind of graceful arc of where Nakia was. Um, you know, Lupina Nyong'o. 
I, I mean, if if Denai Guerrero just exudes this toughness, that's a that's a joy to watch. Lupita Nyong'o is just like she's like this serene presence that you just have absolute trust. Like Angela Bassett shows up and she's like, I need somebody I can trust to go do this insane thing. And you're like, Nakia can do it. She can absolutely do it. She can do anything. Like she just has that sort of presence. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I missed her. It's nice to know where she was. And I hope that she is a bigger presence going forward. Yeah. I mean, her role though also was more espionage, like in there and, you know, when she was working for the government of Wakanda. So, I mean, it made sense that it's like, that's, you want an infiltrator. You don't need a Dora Maloja who's going to be like, you know, very loud, very, you know, present, you know, like you want infiltration. So yeah, she was a good choice for that. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I already mentioned that I really loved, uh, the revolution, uh, at the end there. I do, I mean, I know everybody loves him because the performance is so great. I don't think he's going to make a good king. I was like, ooh, this is bad when they when they show that. I mean, it was a fun scene, and it was fun that, you know, you expect it to be Shuri I... stepping off the thing in the slow pan up, and then it's M'Baku, and he's like... <laughs> I would argue after this movie and after the way he comported himself, there's really nobody else that could be king. Well, we don't really know, like, what each of these tribes has to offer, you know, like, there could be somebody who was too young back before, like, big back when T'Challa was doing the challenge well, that, then they you know... should have been there giving wise counsel to Shuri <laughs> <laughs> and showing that they, that they had the chops for leadership. I do find the whole, like, um you know, uh, thing of like multiple tribes that each put forward a candidate potentially and all. I like that whole thing that it's not just the simple, like, well, when the person dies, the next, you know, the son or the next child, depending on whether it's gender specific or not, you know, they ascend the throne, you know, like traditional King, you know, passed down. It's, it's much more of a callback. And I don't know that this might be the case in some, uh, you know, actual, you know, historical African nations, but you know, that there was this sort of thing about like this in like, sort of like Viking culture also about like appointing a king from the various clan chiefs and it's not necessarily just in a line of succession and stuff like that and i like i like that i like that there's like some sort of like uh you know like a like a variation on that and again it's just something that makes wakanda interesting um but uh but yeah so i mean i think we talked about all the main you know points of the movie uh if there are uh but but now i'm just gonna throw it open if there's something that you feel like we we needed to talk about that we haven't talked about yet uh this is the time to do so so um let's start with you angie oh um really loved the blue zombies i don't like that the, the whole look of them and showing up like sirens and just murdering all the sailors <laughs> like i thought that was it's a weird thing to say it was a great visual, but it was a great visual. I appreciated it. It, it definitely is a, I, I think the expectation of just visual, impressive visuals that the the first movie set up for us, I think was well-served by this film. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, JD? It was really nice to just have this movie more grounded. Um, the last two movies that we got before this were Multiverse of Madness, which takes place in weird visual tableaus. Um, and then uh, before that, the last movie that we got was, uh, oh, and Thor Love and Thunder, which- 100% um, less goats, thumbs up yeah, for me. Which also like 
Thor Love and Thunder, everything looks CG in it. Even like new yeah. Asgard looks CG. Uh, and that I, I'm also like a moderate defender of that movie, but I I don't think it visually looks great. Uh, certainly, certainly not to Ragnarok standards. So um, it was nice to have a movie that felt grounded, um, which I, you know, is is odd to say about this movie that it is grounded, but it is more grounded than some of the other Marvel fare has been lately. Um, I'm just I'm really impressed with what the movie was able to do. Um when you when you consider everything that it went through to get to where it got to and not just not just with Chadwick Boseman passing away and the entire movie having to be basically tossed in a bin and rewritten from scratch like this is also a movie that had to shut down production due to covid um it had uh to shut down production for a couple of months because Letitia Wright had a pretty serious injury um you know, there was also, I would say, the the self-made uh, controversy that Letitia Wright had of constantly posting anti-vax stuff. But, <laughs> um, you know, this movie went through a lot to get to where it ended up. Um, and the fact that it is a good and entertaining movie, despite all of the hardships it went through, I think is something to uh kind of that it should it and marvel studios and ryan coogler should be very proud of um because this movie could have been a train wreck and i feel like in a lot of other studios it would have been a train wreck um but uh you know this is another example of if anyone ever says like oh marvel studios doesn't put enough trust in their directors yeah it does it does it does (laughs) though (laughs) because um, they they let ryan googler tell this story and it did not feel like there was much interference from uh disney in doing that in the way that you know perhaps there was in some of the other phase four movies so uh yeah i think you know i don't want to grade this movie on a curve but uh if i did it would get extra marks for the degree of difficulty that it had to overcome yeah i um I mean, we have evidence of of a similar thing where the movie turned out awfully with with the Dark Knight uh, Rises, um, mm-hmm. because that was the same thing. Like Heath Ledger died, and they had to start back over again, and they tried to do a movie, and you know, we, we had two great installments of the Nolan Batman franchise. <laughs> Shame about that final one, you know. Um, so yeah, you, we we've seen where that can go wrong, uh, and 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 sort of my um, you know, more uh, uh, like. Um, uh when 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 i'm feeling a little bit uh uh, suspicious and things uh, i do wonder if uh the whole scene with the t'challa jr was written in after uh, letitia wright started posting all that anti-vax stuff and they were like oh we gotta have a we gotta have a way of getting rid of her you know so i mean it was also like uh (laughs) it was also why like i thought the rumors there for a while were like they were doing rewrites to remove shuri from being black panther and, and i really think they just oh that, that was the killmonger stance who are like they're gonna resurrect him and he's gonna be black panther and that like... uh while i am a killmonger stan and would have loved to see him do that mm-hmm. um no 
Um, there were people even after they released the trailer, which looked clearly, even though we didn't see it for long, clearly a feminine form Black Panther. They were like, see, it's Michael B. Jordan. And I'm like, how are you seeing that frame? Because it's the gold trim suit. Um, <laughs> I know, but it's like, that's not. No, a- trust me, I watch. I watch all of those. Uh, I watch all of those theory videos too. The, the, the <laughs> frame insane, of their bodies man. is not in any way not the similar. Um, I stand by my my multiverse of madness theory that they could have brought a Michael B. Jordan version of T'Challa from somewhere else. From a different, from a yeah, different they could have gone that way. Reality. Yeah, um, I, but I I also like just just real quick. It is impressive to me, given the scope of this movie, how personal of a story it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how meditative it allows itself to be in stretches. Um, it it balances being very much a Marvel movie and not feeling like a Marvel movie, or, or feeling at least very different. Yeah, I, I felt the same way about the Killmongers in Wakanda Forever people uh, it, as as Black Panther as I do about the Mephisto files from uh, WandaVision. <laughs> That's just like you guys want it to happen, you keep trying to make it happen, but there's there's nothing there. I, I like... feel the same way about those folks that I do about the folks coming from the Agents of Shield fandom that are still like, no, you'll see one day they're going to cross over the show and bring them all into the MCU. Oh. I'm like, God, they're not though. You, you sweet summer they're children. They're not. They would have already. They're not going to. <laughs> yeah, no. No, and the last two seasons of Agents of Shield make it impossible without just invoking the multiverse. Like Which there's no, like it's clearly do. not in the same universe. Um, but anyway. Um there's the Quake is gonna show up, but they're just rumors right now. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, see, the thing here, all right, I'm just going to get my soapbox for a second. So many people try to make things happen by posting it on the internet. I, I love all the mutually exclusive Fantastic Four rumors that are running around right now because it's like, there are like five kajillion rumors and people read them because they're posted like it's like an article, but nobody actually clicks it to see that it's just uh, uh, sources say or, and, you know. Fanboy so- rating. Uh, right they're just ravings with no actual like legitimate source and people believe like i'll talk to people on this podcast and they'll be like oh i thought that was confirmed and they'll just mention like whatever the latest fan theory is and i'm like no that's just something that's appearing on facebook right now you know like it's not a confirmed fact at all um so yeah like you know rama tut is going to appear in fantastic four yeah i don't think so maybe i mean that's probably the most like um uh, 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 one that's most possible, I think, of all the ones that I've heard. You know, Fantastic Four is going to be set in the 1960s. That one I really don't think is going to be true. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ones that are flying around. It's just like, um, you know, it's just, yeah, anyway. My, my favorite was some dude claiming to have the cast from an announcement at D23, and I was at D23. <laughs> and no such yeah. announcement was made. So it's like, yeah, he's full of crap. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anytime people say sources say or people close uh, no, to no, no. somebody say or whatever, but they don't name any of these people, like do not believe a word of it. Nope. Nope. Yeah. And there's specific websites that are terrible. I'm we already used covered. to this mm-hmm. because I'm on uh pro sports Twitter and pro wrestling <laughs> Twitter. And this is basically like both of those Twitters. It's like <laughs> rumors are out there that so and so is going to sign with so and so team. And it's like who the f*** are you? The MLS subreddit. <laughs> yeah, I just had somebody on that was saying, like, Moon Knight Season 2 is confirmed. I'm like, nobody's legitimate has confirmed that. 
that's a rumor not a soul yeah but it's like but again like i like you google it you find the articles that say it but there's no sourcing in there there's no yeah, nothing to yeah. back it up so anyway uh tom i saw an article back in spring where oscar isaac said that they were they were bandying ideas for a season two but yeah it's like until it's ordered yeah i People I just those those videos drive me crazy, by the way, JD, when people were like analyzing everything. It's like, dude, that is not a that is obviously a woman in the Black Panther suit that can't be. What is wrong with you? I both I both appreciate them and they drive me crazy. I appreciate them because they always do a good job of pointing out the Easter eggs. And I, yeah. as somebody that doesn't read a lot of comics, like I miss them. Well, so, the weird thing about WandaVision was people were insisting things were Easter eggs that weren't. Like, they were, like, obsessing about every single, like, hidden detail and frames that was, like, pointing to... Because it wasn't just Mephisto. It was Reed Richards <laughs> was going to be in WandaVision. Like, oh that God. was going to be her friend. Like, Monica's friend that she knew that could help them get into the 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 hex. They were going to backdoor the Foxmen into... Because oh, yeah, yeah. And they were going to get the Fox X-Men, like, through WandaVision. Like, and it was, like, all this stuff that, it that was, was just, like... That was the producers just messing with us. <laughs> that yeah. was just like ah, I, I mean, but I I was on I was on Twitter for all of that, and I had a a good old time with it. Uh, it's just people at a murder board, you know. With the yeah, but, uh, <laughs> it was. I, I never have a problem with that. I always have a problem with the people that build these elaborate fan theories and then get pissed off when. Marvel doesn't the give them. Doesn't meet their, but that's what happened with WandaVision. Too. So it's many people got what mad with WandaVision. Right. They got mad at WandaVision because it didn't like confirm their fan theory that they had completely come up with on their own. And then I even had somebody who got mad and said like like Mar uh, Marvel deliberately did that to misdirect and like the only thing they deliberately did was the quicksilver thing that was the yep. only thing like all this other crap like the things you think they put in there to tell you Mephisto was in it that's all in your head. No, no, nowhere yeah. in there is there anything where they're trying to tell you Mephisto is in it. You, you brought that in yourself. You know, and the, needless and the to say, casting like all yeah. of the Buffy references, and they're like, mm -hmm. it's obviously this, and like, or she's an actress who got cast right. in a part. Yeah, it's guys. like Calm they were bringing down. up like obscure like sorceresses, like like oh, this character is this sorceress from this comic, and I'm like. It, no no it's a coincidence that they have the same first name like it, it's not you know <laughs> like... it, it almost i mean i i've been thinking about this with she hulk too i'll talk about that in the she hulk episode Ooh, yeah, yeah we're it does talk about seem that. like a lot of very um very intense fans feel like mm -hmm. it's like cred if they can if they can pin down because it's it's a new story but it can't be a new story it must always be referencing some obscure part of the comics that only a true fan would find and if they're the one that pins it that's that's their badge i'm the true fan and then they just get mad because that's not what happens <laughs> yeah. my absolute my absolute favorite was when henry cavill did not show up at the black adam panel at comic-con and people were mad. He was never confirmed for the Black Adam panel <laughs> at Comic Con, right. but and and they hadn't even because there the had been an internet rumor. You know, one of those sketchy sites said like he yeah, was going to be yeah. at Comic Con, and, so, and yeah, so people were mad at, at Henry Cavill for not showing up at a panel that he never said he was going to be. It's like get over yourself, dude. How about we enjoy the movie they made <laughs> versus the one you fantasized in your head? All right, this is my last thing I'm going to say on this because we. 
we're going long. But this is the thing. Like, and I try to try to get people to think critically. I'm like, what what is it that people like about mutants? The idea that anyone could be a mutant. So if you bring in the mutants to Marvel through the multiverse, then that's you you've made them something from outside. It's not like anyone who can be born can turn out to be a mutant. Like, you know, like that's not the thing. So it's like it doesn't even make logical sense for them to introduce X-Men as a multiverse thing. It has to be something where people are born, children are born, and they find out they have these powers. So it can be the sense of, you know, this can happen to anyone, and then it's the sense of being alienated, you know, and all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, I, I it, but the, you know, people don't think about that. They, they just want to have X-Men right now and they don't care and they don't even think about how how would you even utilize them as something that came in from outside then they're no different from aliens or anything else that like you throw into the mcu so like yeah anyway um but tom is there any <laughs> i'm sorry what, what were you going to say tom oh no i'll just add to what uh everybody else has said and jd stole my thunder um i'll i'll, I'll give a citation uh after after the premiere of the movie Ryan Johnson tweeted, you know, congratulations to Ryan Johnson for making such a small, intimate movie right, with the trappings of a Marvel blockbuster. And that's no that's no mean feat. I mean, this guy, it's going to be interesting because eventually his contract with Marvel will, you know, will fade out and he'll start mm-hmm. making, you know, mainstream movies. But man, I, I can hardly wait to see what he makes next because if you've seen fruitvale station his first movie it's mm-hmm. something special. it's a docudrama and man it's terrific and uh but yeah i just thought it, it's fascinating and and there's a lot of there are a lot of clickbait articles around about different things from whether they should have recast chachala to you know the controversial black panther sequel it's like I don't think it's that controversial when it's making this much money worldwide and it has an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, get over yourself, clickbaiters. <laughs> but no, I was very, very pleased. I have not had a chance to see it a second time yet, but I'll probably see it a second time this weekend. But no, I I suspected I would be moved, but I was really impressed with the... De- I mean, they let Shuri go there in her journey and everybody rose to the occasion. And I think I think uh, Angie probably said it best. You know, Dominique Thorne is a solid actor, but when you have all these seasoned, great actors around her, she just looks average compared to, like, Angela Bassett and all these others who are just going in with the gusto because they have a personal connection to these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um but yeah, so I mean, we'll see what comes. I mean, there are, there are rumors. Again, these are rumors, everybody. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past uh, Kevin Feige and Marvel to make this decision that maybe Ryan Coogler is going to direct um, Secret Wars. Um, which I hope that's true. Right. So that would be interesting too, because you know, I mean, he's he's a director that's proven himself, and it would be neat to get him to play with the whole sandbox of Marvel mm-hmm. rather than, you know, basically the Wakanda side. Um, and he can handle a large cast. So yeah, yeah that's, yeah. 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 I mean, since, since the Russo brothers aren't coming back anytime soon, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, from the, from the directors we have, that's not a bad choice at all. Um, yeah. Well, they have, um, they have the director from Shang-Chi directing the other one. Right. The Kang dynasty. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Wakanda. There are there are rumors that there's more than one Disney Plus series coming from Ryan Coogler's production company that will be Wakanda focused. And, you know, we'll see, you know, if there's going to. But we know that there's one at least that they've committed to. So um, I'll watch all of them. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, let's say our goodbyes now and let people know where they can find you. Um, So let's start with you, Angie. Uh, Good luck. Godspeed. Have a nice night. <laughs> All right, JD. Uh, you can find me on Twitter while that cesspool still exists <laughs> at JD Jackson. Uh, if you're listening to this and Twitter is gone, don't don't look for me. Don't don't come find me. Uh, I'm also co-host of Level Seven Access, a Marvel Cinematic Universe pod. Uh, we'll be recording our episode about Wakanda Forever on Sunday. Oh, nice. I, I, I got the scoop. Yes, you got me ah. before we even get a chance to talk about it. All right. Uh, although yours will post before mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that may be. All right, Tom. Uh, say goodbye let people know where they can find you. Uh, people can find me at Blurred PhD on Facebook, Instagram, and while it still exists, Twitter. <laughs> Boy, that's a hot mess. Yeah. Um, and I also host a monthly podcast, Screen Tom, which is on Anchor, uh, Spotify, and iTunes. And I'm a, I'm a frequent contributor to TV Campfire Podcast, which is also on iTunes, Weedonopolis, and Get the Point Radio. All right. Well, Angie, JD, and Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Thanks. for having me. And that's it for our discussion of Wakanda Forever. What did you think? What do you think of where the MCU is going? What do you think of Julia Louis-Dreyfus? What do you think of Namor? You can let us know in a bunch of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another one is to go to our website, 42cast.com, and leave a review on any of the episodes there. You can go to facebook.com slash 42cast, or you can talk to us on Twitter or Instagram at 42cast. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. With Apple Podcasts especially, it really helps we get more reviews, because the more reviews we have, the more Apple will have us show up on searches. So if you have an Apple account and you haven't left us a review yet, we'd really appreciate if you would do that. Also, I would like to let you know about the ESO Network Patreon. It's a way you can help all the shows on the network. You can look at the various tiers by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network. You'll see the different perks you get for the different tiers, how much they cost, and if you have the funds to contribute, and if any of that sounds good to you, then we would appreciate if you would help us out. You can find me on two other podcasts. One is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. You don't have to own the episodes to follow along with us because we'll explain everything that happens in every story, all the important stuff. So if you just want to listen to our banter, you just want to learn a little bit about Doctor Who, you can listen to it that way. Or if you do have access to the episodes or want to purchase them to follow along with us, you'll definitely get more out of it that way. But if that sounds interesting to you, that is Time Streams. The other show is Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I again, but also joined by Joe, Corey, and Ashley, are going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. So that's the movies, TV shows, books, comics, anything that happens in the Star Wars universe. We're not covering things like fanzines or media that's about Star Wars. We're covering the stuff that happens in the universe. 
We'll review the media that we're talking about. We'll tell you if it was any good, why we liked it, didn't like it. But then we're also going to talk about it in the context of the expanding idea of Star Wars. So we're going to look at it from the standpoint of what did the people writing or creating this media think about the Star Wars universe? How did newer installments in the movies affect that and how did the canon and continuity kind of change over time so if that sounds interesting to you that is legendary forces i don't have anything new to report as far as cons or things that i've been watching i recommend going back to the book of boba fett episode Uh, i think it's uh, episode 176 and going to the outro there if you're interested in what i've been up to lately but I've recorded too many of these outros too close to each other to have anything new to report there. But keep watching this space to get the latest as things develop. All right, that's a wrap for this week. Join us back next week when James Gunn will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2023 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42 cast.com theme music is sharper swords by brandon ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the eso network has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.